episode of the Jim Cornette Experience. It's the We Survived Friday the 13th edition. And the question we asked today, did the viewers of this week's wrestling shows survive? I barely did myself. And to join me to talk about all this and even less, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you, the former swimming coach at Camp Crystal Lake, the great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. And oh boy, what a pleasure it is to be here this week. That's all you got, huh? That's all I got right now. That's all you got. Okay. It's early. <laughs> it's early. I'm going to try to be in one. Of, I'm either grumpy or slappy. One of those was both of those should have been dwarves. They should have taken bashful out and put in slappy. Every time that they came home from working in the mines and high hoeing, they just walk in and slap the shit out of slappy maybe dopey was originally slappy that's what made him dopey he was slap drunk see this is the mood i'm trying to get myself in i'm either going to be cranky or silly and slappy it's early saturday morning early for us at least to do a podcast like this we were going to record on friday the 13th where have those words been uttered before but uh, we didn't have bad luck. We just had busyness suddenly uh, uh, afflict both of us at the same time. Brian, you, of course, have just recently moved into the new, improved, larger, now with tomato last manner. You got everything, including the the uh, stereo optical of, of intercom system there. And you got people coming over to, to tweak things and everything. And, and suddenly you discovered that while you were caring for three of the four children and the dog, two different genres of workmen were going to be showing up, parading around your property, while I had the Monroe brothers here a day early with the mulch and Ben the fence feller here a day late because they started a day late because of the weather with the fence posts and trying to record at the same time it it was not to be yesterday and and you and and your your support system there your better half sweet suzanne was uh was shepherding your other child and my support system sensuous stacy was <laughs> i love the alliteration yeah, i know you do um <laughs> was uh was with with Harley at the running of the hounds in in Versailles down the road, and so we 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 just we, this is not to be today on Friday the thirteenth. All of our worlds came crash. We have private lives, people, and all of the worlds came crashing together. So now we're doing this early. We're pumping it out. Don't. But here's the thing: nobody that watched any of the wrestling shows this past week is waiting with bated breath to revisit these memories. Okay, what do you th say that's a fair assessment? I think more of the listeners are 
hoping to hear about adventures that we've had in our personal lives this week than anything that they saw on wrestling TV. I would well, I'll jot a few things down. I had a floater, found a floater the last couple of days, not in Cornet Creek in my knee. <laughs> That's what I was going to say, in the creek? No, no, a little cartilage floating around because if, if, if my, my health this week, I tell you my health, I'm all right now, but last week I was in rough shape, you know. Uh, it's high pollen season around here. So, folks, forgive me if I snort, drip, or gurgle during the course of the program. They just, they also, oh, the lawnmowers were here also. So, we had all this stuff going on. So, the pollen's flying everywhere. <clears throat> and I'm dripping and I'm gurgling and snotting about. And then Ben the fence fella. Is 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 here at work. I mentioned that earlier. They've taken down the old fence in the back. They've uh they've carted that thing off. They've got the new po the six by six inch posts. Each one of them setting 120 pounds of concrete by God. These this ain't gonna blow over, bend, or whatever the case. We've had a few trees on that back one also, but uh it's gonna stand up. But I've been walking back and forth because it's a custom fence. And I'm approving the elevation and the level and et cetera. Me and, and my, my neighbor in the back, the Southeast Quadrant, I've mentioned stunning Steve Bradshaw. He's the point man back there on the back end of the property on the other side. And we're approving this. And every time I've got to walk back and forth and it's been 90 degrees and all the pollen and the last hundred feet of that going back to the fence is uphill. And then coming this back this way about the last 200 feet's uphill. So I've I've made so many trips back and forth there that I got the floating cartilage in my knee because I have shit that wanders around and every once in a while it gets in the wrong place. So I'm dragging my right leg like Quasimodo while snot is running down my nose and greasy fingers smear my shabby clothes like a Jethro Tull song. But they're doing a good job back there with the fence. Well, there's no fence now. They're doing a good job with the posts. <clears throat> Monday starts the fence. But right now I'm staring into, if I, if I use my binoculars, which you know I, I have available here, I'm staring right in the back of, of Stunning Steve's screened-in porch. And you wouldn't believe the things that go on there in that home. I tell you, it's amazing. They leave the lights on and everything. But it works the other way. He can see now. See the other corner with the other people's property. Now that the leaves are on the trees, they can't really see my house, whether there's a fence or not. But Steve's right there in the bare spot. And the other morning when Hotchkiss Featherbottom came over to pick up bukus of boxes of action figures, Steve was out there and he mentioned to me as we were on the fence row, he said, I, I thought it was a bit. It's not a bit. I said, what do you mean? What do you mean? He said, I saw you and the guy carrying just these multitudes of boxes and stuff in this minivan. And it there was a box in every available orifice in this motorized conveyance, except for there wasn't anything strapped on the hood of the car like a poor dead deer or whatever. But I said, no, it's Hotchkiss. He came over to do the pickup. So now the neighbors are starting to realize that these people really do exist. I was going to say, he said it's a bit. He listens to the show. Yes, yes, oh. he's 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 a a fine 
fan member of the cult of Cornette. Oh, hey, Steve, you should know the Cornettes hate your fucking guts. Now, hey, now stop And they're it. sick of hey. these midnight whore parties you got going on over there. Don't, now his wife may listen too. Don't, don't fucking say anything. I don't know if she knows what's going on on the back porch. Well, maybe it's a different Steve. Maybe it's a different Steve I'm thinking of. There's several back there. There's several whores maybe. or several Steves? <laughs> well, it just depends on how deep you want to go into the... Into the horror, into the steam. <laughs> into the, into the uh, <laughs> population back there. You can probably find several of each. Stop it now. You're talking about my neighbors, my good Christian neighbors that use their left and right turn indicators in their cars. Anyway, so the fence is going well. And it's not a bit, but I've got, I've, I've, and thankfully, whatever was floating in my knee causing me to limp the past couple of days, I woke up this morning snotty. But the, the limp was good. The floater has returned to its normal position. And uh, I want to also, I forgot to do this last week. And I want to thanks. I forgot to send out the thanks to Joni Aries out in the Pacific Northwest, the longest old time Portland, the longest running Portland wrestling fan, probably still around. Well, she's not that old for heaven's sake. I don't know. Is Frank Bonima still Still around. Anyway, still uh, he's still dead. He's still so dead. Is, <laughs> so is Generalissimo Francisco Franco. <laughs> and uh, anyway, she sent a celebratory cake. I've mentioned Joni works in the, she's got to hook up at the cakes at her store and she sends, do it. Your, she sends the cake and the icing in separate things so that I could assemble them to get and put the right amount of icing on and everything. Big old sack of icing. Anyway, she sent this. Better early than late in honor of our milestone coming up on the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. We are now over 295,000 subscribers. So she sent the 300,000 level cake early. And I wanted to thank, I, I meant to do that last week. It's gone already, by the way. Uh, it was only one cake, but I'm only one man. But I did mention the action figures, didn't I? Uh, I've you? been hard at work. I've, I mentioned them earlier when we were stuffing them in oh, Hotchkiss's yeah. orifices. That's right. It's, that's, he's got a, a Honda orifice. It's a new model. It's, it's a limited edition, the Honda orifice. It gets great gas mileage. But you got to, well, never mind. I won't even go into that now. <laughs> you ran out of material for this one, didn't you? Where else can you go? <laughs> the well, Honda gonna... orifice. A Honda orifice. See, you, you sit on this protuberance and you put this other protuberance in your mouth and you rock back and forth how to power it so it gets great gas mileage. They got the idea off the uh, South Park episode. <laughs> anyway, I've been hard at work signing those action figures. I'll have you know by gum by golly gee whiz, Willikers. And uh, Hotchkiss carted off. 300 plus figures just then one trip the other day alone because it was 150 packages with two figures in each the combination people who ordered one of each were knocking those out last week and this week boom and there's less than uh 500 individual orders yet to go most are uh multiple figures and figures with multiple items and we are Still on track to get that out by, by the first week of June, so we thank you guys for your patience with that. And uh, JimCornette.com, by the way, if you want to order anything but an action figure, um, 
It's going to come right away, thanks to the Featherbottom Speedy Service System. And there are still a few of the commentator playsets available. I think everybody's waiting till I finish filling all the rest of this stuff, which should be a couple of weeks from now, as I mentioned. So feel free to put that on your to-do list. And did I mention we had a, a, a triv- an unscheduled lights-out trivia? It's what we had on the drive-through your program this past week, where you asked me questions from the the trivial pursuit of pro wrestling games, the Gordon Soley wrestling trivia game from the eighties, and there was a a trick question slash fumfer odd thing in that they were quoting pro wrestling illustrated awards of the year for wrestler of the year, whatever the case match of the year before there was a pro wrestling illustrated. And I called shenanigans on this. Do you remember this Brian? Oh, faithful companion. I do remember this because you pointed out correctly that PWI didn't start until 1979. And I'm always correct about things like that. Except every once in a while when I, I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. But John fell in Baltimore, who still apparently, despite all the bumps and tumbles and falls and spills and lurches that he has taken over the years and and the brain damage that has concurrently resulted, apparently still remembers these things better than we do. He pointed out that the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Awards began, I believe, in 1981. They took the lineage from the previous, as we suspectified, we pontificated on this when we were talking about it, they took the lineage from the previous London publishing wrestling magazines that had been doing awards, which Sports Review Wrestling, remember, that was uh, at, at the Sports Review Annuals would do the uh, the awards for, I think, PWI expanded the amount of them, but the basic awards, Wrestler of the Year, Tag Team of the Year, Match, whatever the case, they went back to 1972. So John Fell clarified and cleared this up for us. John Fell from Baltimore? That's what I just said. I just did fucking 45 seconds on his his name a minute ago. (laughs) Well, you should know, John Fell, the Cornets hate your fucking guts. Hey, guts. (laughs) And your midnight whore parties. Reading comics with the whores. But I'll tell you what, that <laughs> Submariner, you can't tell me he's not a top guy. Look at that physique. Hey, should I recognize, should Arcadian Vanguard recognize all existing or pre-existing wrestling news, wrestling review, ring wrestling, and of course all the associated programs, all the awards from years past? I think you should, much as the NWA adopted the lineage going back to <laughs> Frank Gotch at 1905. And, you know, here's the thing with that NWA lineage that we bought. I mean, they they created a a great-looking lineage from earlier than pre-1948 when they printed it in all their programs and everything and traced the title back to Frank Gotch until you really look at the 20s and 30s and realize how fucking chaotic it was. But at least it was something. But I I think you, in your divine and infinite wisdom should be able to figure out a way to tie everything since the Police Gazette Awards of 1875 into the wrestling news lineage. I just got a poster for Dave Levin coming into town as the world champion. I've got one too. Calling out and challenging Babe Sharky. 
the world champion. All I'm thinking is, can you imagine any other actual world champion who sees this poster of Dave Levitt calling out Babe Sharky? Like, what the fuck? These two world champions? Yeah, but see, they wouldn't see it anyway because they'd be in <laughs> Delaware and they're in Des Moines. Is that the one you have, him calling out Babe Sharky? Um, I've got a couple of, cause they did that. Who was behind Pfeffer. 11 Pfeffer? That's Pfeffer. why, why did I even ask the question? But he would do the, depending on the part of the country, it would be a different person that he was challenging because obviously in different parts of the country, people in those days still recognized in uh, different wrestling champions or different commissions wrestle different recognize different champions or whatever so he did he would challenge whoever they were trying to go into that area yeah his two big guys during that era if you usually you see them on the cards together or dave levin and blimp levy they're almost on every show together oh that's that's mr martin levy to you sir that's right you didn't know him personally enough see, he's a member of the tribe him. i can call him anything i want is he was he a member of the fat people's tribe He's a member of the Jewish American tribe. I don't know about oh, the fat it... people's tribe. <laughs> well, I, I, I wasn't aware he was Jewish. I, you know, I don't know how you could tell his his stomach was so big and hung down. His last so name. Anyway. His last name is the giveaway <laughs> more than anything, probably. Well, how do you know he wasn't born Arnold Fenster? Because why would you change your name from Fenster to Levy? He could have been adopted by the Levies. By anybody. It could have take him or leave him. <laughs> All, All right. right. That's apparently gone as far as that's going to go. I've got, uh, I got an email here about something else we've been talking about recently. This was, you brought up as we were having a comics discussion, underground comics, the R. Crumb stuff, the Fritz the Cat, the blah, blah, blah. Mr. Well, I mentioned the the Fritz the Cat movie was the big controversy when I was like 10 years old because it was X-rated, but it was a cartoon. So how the fuck, you know, could that... And I was never interested in seeing an X-rated cartoon. The other X-ray, Caligula, was high on my list when they came out with that. But anyway, did I they digress. Play, hold on, before hold, the VCR. Hold on, before this email. Did they play Caligula anywhere near where you lived? Yes. Wow. They played it at Showcase Cinemas. I'll wow. have you know, and it, it got the, the X rating or the adult rating or whatever. And of course, since they weren't used to showing the only other place in town that back then that showed adult features, candid photography was theater X over across the river in, in uh, Jeffersonville. And that caused a stir because that was a drive-in theater. <laughs> and at one point, it, no, seriously, at one point it, in the seventies, until they built walls and reoriented certain things, you could drive through downtown Louisville across the Ohio River and see a fucking porn movie going for about, if you were going 60 miles an hour, you might get 12 seconds of it on the, off the side of the interstate. And, and, and people complain. They just closed that place last year. It's been the scene of many complaints over the years. Uh, they, they brought the, the fucking drive-in movie indoors into a regular porn store quite some time back but nevertheless so what? fritz the cat okay huh? no nothing no. well no they don't have an x-rated drive-in anymore in 2022 sad to say it's another one of the quaint pieces of americana that we've lost over the years <laughs> <laughs> what's the matter with you <laughs> it was, you used to be able to go out in the indiana cornfields 
and and sit on the roof of the hood of your your hot rod and after you went over to the to the tasty freeze and then you could fucking watch 60 feet tall dicks go into fucking pussies on the big screen at the good old x-rated drive-in theater some old man walks in on his grandkid. He's like, when I was a boy, we watched our porn on the big screen under yeah. the stars. Yeah, laying on the hood of the hot rod <laughs> with Tasty Freeze grease all over our chins. like, like, And, and we liked it. Okay. But getting back to Fritz the Cat. Yeah, where were we going? <laughs> we were talking about Fritz the Cat. He's a very popular pussy. Um, and we mentioned that it was an X-rated cartoon movie feature in the early 70s, R. Crumb, etc. We've tied all this together. Now we have Rich from Portland, Oregon, checking in. Dear Jim and Brian, I was listening to Lay's drive through episode, and I almost laughed out loud. Well, don't fucking lose your mind, Rich. No reason to goddamn go insane. I almost laughed out loud when you mentioned the Fritz the Cat movie. When it came out, my sister and I were 11 and 7 years old. My mother saw that it was an animated cartoon and took us to see it. (laughs) The clerk at the ticket booth didn't mention that it was X-rated and sold my mom one adult and two child tickets. And again, this movie was playing in normal theaters that would show the Disney features and the regular mainstream shit, so a lot of these fucking ticket-taking people, didn't they? Anyway, Rich continues, we sat down and started to watch it. I don't remember much, except 11 and 7, and it's 50 years ago or whatever. I don't remember much except for an animated animal in a garbage can and a lot of jokes about flatulence. After a bit, my mom's face turned beet red and she dragged us out of the theater. I still crack up whenever I think about it. He almost laughs out loud. I'll have you know. That's Rich. Thank you, Rich, for sharing that. I um, found it humorous, but I decided to stop the laughter from escaping. Yeah. And instead, I decided to type you this note to let you know that. And sometimes laughter escaping makes makes noise and motion, and you don't want to call attention to yourself. What was it I said the other day about the... Was it your friend, Mr. Ishii? On on the Rampage program, I said, I've seen more movement from gas escaping a corpse. People tended to like that one from what I've hey, seen on did, Twitter. Um, did Deep Throat play in the theaters in Louisville? Um, yes, but that was that was downtown. That was before they... Before they renovated the Louisville Palace into the fine showplace for live music and arts that it is today, it was the the United Artists and the Penthouse. And I believe Deep Throat showed at the Penthouse, which is the same place that a couple years later that The Wrestler debuted at the Penthouse Theater downtown on 4th Street, which generally was a place where you might go to sleep if you had no other roof over your head at that time. Yeah, the only people who paid less than Linda Lovelace were the wrestlers and the wrestler. <laughs> well, but at least, I was going to say at least they didn't have to do the dog, but then again. All righty, there's another, speaking of... Speaking of what? Speaking of something, speaking of jacking off, because this is the topic of this next email. Jacking off. This is from Rhonda Shane, by the way, a frequent contributor to the program. From Up All Night? Rhonda, oh, that was Rhonda Shear. That was Rhonda Shear. No, no, completely different. This is Ron, Rhonda Shane 
You know the drill. It's Ron DeShane. I actually didn't know the drill. I thought it was Rhonda. No, it's Ron DeShane. It was Rhonda Shane. No, I, I just clearly said Ron DeShane. The illegitimate daughter of Bobby Shane, Rhonda Shane. Well, and Ron would be extremely, I'm sure, uh, uh, thrilled if he was the illegitimate offspring of Bobby Shane. But nevertheless... And this is a a topic we might need to discuss with some seriousness. So put your big boy pants on there, fella. Because he makes a good point here. And I haven't seen anybody else bring this particular thing. And maybe I've missed it because I don't pay a lot of attention to what other people say. But Rhonda says, Jim and Brian, and he even includes you in this. You guys covered Adam Page's random heel turn on the last experience but didn't really get into the content of what Adam Page said, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on my theory. Um, And that's not the theory on Raw. Remember, Page just, this was it last week now, or it wasn't the last Wednesday night, that was a few days ago, but about a week and a half ago, where he just came out and just decided to become a completely different person. Fuck you, CM Punk, I'm going to embarrass you, you're a piece of shit, and fuck you, fuck you, right? But uh, Ron Rhonda brings up something else as he continues. Why would you have your babyface champion, Adam Page, call CM Punk's matches, quote, masturbatory Bret Hart tributes on your national television show? One of the best parts of this fledgling promotion is CM Punk's matches. And now you want to plant the seed that they're a self-indulgent karaoke version of pro wrestling. Why would you steer the audience's attention to this when Punk is your top face? Who benefits from calling CM Punk's matches Bret Hart, Bret Hart jerk-off sessions? Clearly not AEW. Where did this thought actually come from? Who was circulating the idea that CM Punk's matches are masturbatory in nature, and how did it get in Adam Page's ear? As I thought about those questions, it slowly occurred to me. He got that line from those no-good young bucks. They're the ones that would be jealous of losing their exposure to CM Punk and would stand to benefit by turning fans on him. They're Adam Page's buddies. Their Twitter is full of quote-unquote witty one-liners like this. They'd be the ones that would benefit from calling CM Punk's Bret Hart sequences and by extension that Dax versus Cash match last week, masturbatory, because a certain segment of the audience, i.e. us, appreciates the hell out of classic ring psychology, and it makes them look bad and feel bad. So he closes by saying, fuck Adam Page for saying it, fuck the Young Bucks for planning it in his head as something to say, if indeed that was the case, and fuck Tony Khan for not handing this limp dink, he's called him a limp dink, limp dink a script instead of letting him take a shit on the company, their top draw, and their product on national TV. Cordially yours, Rhonda Shane. So that's a good provocative thought, Brian. Did Is this Adam Page's material, or is this somebody planting something in his ear, and why would you want to, if you were running a business and promoting a match, say that about your opponent? Actually, it's a great email from Rhonda there. I think there's a few different things. One, the overall theme, and 
it's not exclusive to Adam Page. Jim Ross is someone who's guilty of this. Various people where things are said on the air that if you're trying to portray professional wrestling as legitimate, make no sense that you would say these things or certain terms. You're talking about the Bret Hart turnbuckle from this past Wednesday, aren't you, JR? Same thing, like I said, and that's not the only time, but it all happened in the same week. So we can compare the comments. Same thing. What's the point of the comment? Who's that comment for? Who's it to? And what's the point? If Bill Watts was there, what would Bill Watts have said to Jim Ross? I'll ask you that. Well, and I guess we first should say, because I guess now we're expecting some segment of the population to read our minds, the Jim Ross comment that we're talking about is the other night on AEW, when Dax Hart, it was Dax, right? I believe Dax so, took yeah. The hard butt. When Dax took a hard forward buckle, chest first, into the turnbuckles, he was shot off by his opponent, of course, and JR made comments about... Well, shades of Bret Hart, and I've never seen anybody do it like Bret Hart did, where the force that he would hit the buckle, he's he's being he's taking an offensive move from the other guy. It shouldn't be up to Bret Hart. It shouldn't be up to Dax. It shouldn't be up to the person hitting the turnbuckle how hard they hit it. That's what you're saying, Brian, what I'm saying, and what everybody is so accustomed to comfortable with of uh, giving up on the fact that we're all we're the only fans that modern wrestling is talking to now is the people that are with the program and there's as we can see damn few of those and we have just quit making sense in the context of what the program is supposed to be while speaking to and trying to appeal to the only ones left to watch it which are the ones that know what the fuck that everybody's talking about, but it doesn't make any sense. If Bret Hart was the one throwing the fucking guy in the turnbuckle, and and he hits, then it should remind you of Bret Hart. Boy, nobody threw a guy in a turnbuckle as hard as Bret Hart. But if you're saying nobody ran, was thrown into the turnbuckle as hard as Bret Hart, then you've just basically told everybody he was doing it on purpose to himself. Brian, have I articulated why this makes not a goddamn lick of sense in the world to say? So when Adam Page comes out there and calls CM Punk or says that CM Punk's wrestling in a masturbatory Bret Hart tribute kind of way, what thought does that put into the head of the viewer at home? What thought is it supposed to put into their head? Well, it it to the viewers that that unfortunately, as I mentioned, we're talking to, it puts in their Heads that Brett, that CM Punk is just copying another guy, copying Bret Hart, that he's not, is he's his own guy that he's just out there doing fake shit in tribute to a guy he's a mark for. And but here's the problem: the problem with that is Bret Hart didn't invent this shit. Bret Hart did it in high-profile matches. Bret Hart may have done the chest into the turnbuckle fucking better than anybody. He wasn't the first person to do it. He wasn't the first person to to mat wrestle. He wasn't the first person to do certain high spots or have matches that made sense and looked halfway legitimate. But And that's not knocking Bret Hart. But the point is, if when he had done it, everybody said, oh, goddamn. You know why he, Buddy Rogers was almost as good as Bret Hart at the, or whatever the fuck. 
it doesn't make any sense either when you're telling the people that they're working. So it just, it, it cheapens the whole thing and it, it makes it look like that. Cause there's enough guys out there right now that are doing masturbatory tributes to their favorite wrestlers yeah, on, every, on the end. Of, go ahead. Every young bucks match is a masturbatory tribute to the young bucks. Well, yeah, and and but I mean, on the indies and the outlaws, mud shows and etc., everybody's doing shit. They as Rip Rogers calls it as seen on TV. Whether it makes any sense or not, if somebody on TV does it, guys think that it's right, and they start doing more of it, and then everybody's fucking doing it. And that's why we've ended up with a lot of this shit. But the point is, with to be quite honest, when Punk is applying the standard classic wrestling psychology to his matches make the shit mean something makes people care about it and make it look halfway your conflict and or your offense look halfway legitimate and do some cool shit that nobody else does these days because they're too busy jumping off the roof and People are reacting to it as, yeah, because Punk's over. He's a lot more over than Adam fucking Page is. Let's face it. That's been a disaster, which is why we speculated, okay, did they just throw up their hands and say, switch this bland, boring little bitch heel. But it just happened. He's blurted out like he had Tourette's in one night. And then this is what he comes up with. Or somebody comes up with it for him. It, it's it's Marx talking to Marx. And everybody's falling in the... You asked what Bill Watts would have said. Bill Watts would have fined everybody involved. But if Bill Watts had been the announcer and Dax took that hard buckle into the turnbuckle and Jim Ross learned from Bill Watts, but he's been around these people for so long, he just he's in the fucking bubble with them. Watts would have been talking about the violence and the velocity and the fucking strength and the power that Dax's opponent used to fucking propel him into the turnbuckle and how bad it probably hurt Dax, which is the point of Dax doing that because it ain't comfortable. People are supposed to think it hurts. So he's running into that thing at 70 miles an hour to make his opponent look like Superman and, and make it look like that this is a punishing thing that hurts. And if everybody, including the announcer, tells him, yeah, he just did that on purpose, well, then that kind of negates what he's trying to cave his sternum in for, doesn't it? It completely negates it. It's saying, hey, look at this guy get hurt. It reminds me of someone else who used to get hurt. I mean, the whole <laughs> point of it is stupid. And I think Jim Ross, unfortunately... Because of the environment he's in, sometimes goes into some of the things he would say to you backstage, as opposed to what he should be saying on the mic or not. Yes, because when I'm when you're around those people, and they all almost think that way now, and the veterans that are there, I won't paint everybody with the same brush, but a lot of veterans that get into these environments. They they somehow come out with a well, I got to change for with the kids. Um, instead of trying to teach the kids what the fuck they're doing wrong. Oh, it's a new day. It's a different day. Or just give me my check or I'm making so much money. I'm not going to make waves or whatever. But a lot of it is just being and interacting with the younger 
group of wrestling talent and personalities these days, even guys who would know get in the habit of speaking that way or doing these things. It just, it goes by you. It just, you know, when, when you, when I'm sure when one of these producers just hold that thought, when one of these producers hears, Oh yeah, I'm going to superplex him, but then we're going to roll through and I'm going to pick him up and give him the Falcon arrow. But when we land, he's going to hook my fucking head with his legs and fart in my face. Then the veteran just go, Oh wow. That's a different way of doing things. Instead of, Stop at the superplex, you idiot. You both should be fucking groveling. So it just goes by him. What were you going to say? To the bigger point from the, uh, or the second point from the question earlier, the motive behind it, all we could say is this. Here's what we could say that can't be denied. CM Punk came into a company where the Young Bucks were big shots. He moves more merch than they do. He moves, and when I say they do, them and their entire camp moves more merch than they do, including Cam. Cut, Cutlet, Cutlet is a merchandise fucking maven, boy, I tell you. And remember, the last time there was some kind of flippant remark was when he went off on Jim Ross on Twitter. He doesn't do that unless he has the Young Bucks backing him up on that. And CM Punk comes in there. His work is critically acclaimed. Even people that like the Young Bucks stuff are saying, wow, his stuff's great. And he doesn't have to do as much stupid shit, and he still gets the big pops. He's over every night. He actually moves the numbers. Everything they can't do, he's doing. On top of making more money than all of them, too. <laughs> I can understand some of the resentment. And at the same time, and I've been saying it for a little while, the Young Bucks and their camp have never been cooler than ever before. Of course, Omega's not there. But the Young Bucks have completely cooled off. They had go-away heat. And they've done nothing in the last several weeks. The only thing they really have left is the Hardys match. And then a third match with FTR, then you're going to really have to be creative to get people to really care about them again, or just throw them out there to do a bunch of tumble salts and flips until people pop at the tumble salts and flips. Tumble salts! But I think there is resentment because CM Punk has come in there, and he's not just making more money, he's not just moving numbers, he's not just moving merch, he's also doing better stuff than everyone, and everyone knows it, and it's recognized by everyone. Well, there you have it. And meanwhile, the other the other pudding has cooled off. You got the hot pudding and the cold pudding. You know who else has cooled off, Brian? Have you heard about this? Apparently, he needs to set an acetylene torch under his ass again. Our friend Shitstain, every, what is it, once every four to six months, issues some kind of desperate plea for attention or denies that he will ever accept a non-existent invitation to a hall of fame or, you know, swears that he will never work for X company that has no interest in him whatsoever ever again. So people will talk. And normally we don't contribute to this unless it's something just that we can really make fun of that he said. Because he does every once in a while, he'll say something so stupid that it's it's fun. But normally we don't fall into this trap of when he's you know pulls his pants down on the street corner and wags his tallywhack around and says, look at me, look at me, look at me. But he did it to somebody else to where the, finally they've said, you know what, we're issuing a response. Did you see this when, again, he's trying to say that Vince McMahon got in touch with him 
Edson wanted him to watch Raw for a couple of weeks, but he wouldn't do it for free. Do you see that, Brian? I saw, like you said, every couple of years, all of a sudden there's a slew of different ridiculous things that pop up. I did see this, yes. Well, this time it, it made the the news that, you know, he's claimed that Vince got in touch with him and, well, would you, pal, would you watch a few weeks of Raw? Well, I'm not going to do it for free. But he's playing hard to get. So finally, a, a basically a unnamed representative of the creative team, I guess, in WWE. Is that where we've been able to narrow it down? They don't want their name attached to this for obvious reasons because it's publicizing the goof. But the quote was, Russo has tried many different ways to get back into WWE. He's called the networks as former head writer, WWE and WCW, and tried to get the networks to hire him as a consultant or get the networks to pressure WWE to hire him. He's called anyone he knows in WWE to get back in. He tries to position it to the public that he would never work here again, but he's begging every day to get hired. Am I wrong? Did he do that before? Was it Impact where he started contacting the network? Yes. 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 That's what he does. <clears throat> and, and, and and if they switch networks, he'll he'll find the phone number for the new one. It's a what do they call it? He's it's it's like deflection. It's sort of like oh, what old Donnie Dipshit would do. Everything he was guilty of, he would accuse somebody else of and or swear that he would never do the thing that he was doing. That's what he does. And yes, that's that's one of the if if you can't get the wrestling promotion to hire you, call their television station or network, who probably knows a whole lot less about wrestling than anybody else and claim to be something that you aren't and tell them that they, you can fix all their problems. And, and then somebody has to tell them, no, please, this fucking gaze. Don't feed, don't feed the puppy. He's homeless. That's the exhausting conversation right there. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce USA networks online too. Oh no. What's going on? Yeah. We just got a email from some guy who says he's your head writer. Oh no, not this again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, and he is uh, still absolutely refusing any thought of induction into the WWE hall of fame. And in, in related news, I have also refused the Rock's many requests to, for me to help him get in better physical condition in the gym. I will not be doing that no matter how hard he begs. I will just leave this topic with this quote. Vince Russo is to booking wrestling what German Bukaki videos are to cinema. And I think pretty much every network and every wrestling company in the known universe has figured that out by now, but he... He's got to pay bills somehow, folks. Yeah, that's the thing. On one hand, I feel bad because people got to work. They got to make a living. On the other hand, we've seen the destruction his work has caused professional wrestling. But like I said, people do need the work. They do need to make money and bring home money. Bring home the bacon. That's what they need to bring home. And and you got you to gotta somehow pay for this. And when, you're, when you don't have any other talents... Folks, you've you got to find something to do. And I'll tell you, it wouldn't be a problem for old Vinnie Rue 
if he was in another line of work, because then we wouldn't have put up with him in wrestling. But I'm just wondering, what do you think, Brian? Would If he got into another line of work, would it be like, like what it is in wrestling where nobody understands a goddamn thing that he's saying or doing or writing? You know what? That's perfect. Vince Russo needs to get a job. And first, he needs to go to Code Academy because Code Academy, the people at Code Academy are going to teach you how to write code. And what is code? Code is stuff that nobody understands. And that's what Vinny Rue's been writing for the past 40 years. He's a natural. And folks, if you'd like to learn how to write gibberish that nobody understands, that sooner or later, one of these days will help you either stay alive in a post-dystopian utopia or help you take over the world and as we've mentioned before, run the thing with the approval of the lizard people, then you need to go to Code Academy. If you want to change your career, there's never been a better time to change whatever you're doing now to something else. And I think that's a blanket statement. It applies to everybody that's within the sound of my voice. Whatever you're doing, don't do that anymore. Do something else. We're living in a fast-changing world. And one of the best ways to succeed in it is to learn how to code. That way, if you and only your friends know the secret language, then you can speak to each other when shit goes to hell. Whether you're starting from scratch or looking to advance, Code Academy can help you reach your coding goals. And over 50 million people, Brian, already know that Code Academy is the best way to learn to code. And they started, as we've mentioned before, with that guy, Samuel Morse. He was patient zero. And then once he came up with the code, then more people started learning it. And now it's spread to 50 million people. And Code Academy are the leaders in teaching you job-ready coding skills. And also, Brian, you've seen they can teach you one complete course at Code Academy is all about taking magazines and newspapers and cutting certain words and letters out and pasting no, them that's... together on a piece of paper where you can send out a letter and nobody will be able to trace it to you. That's how good the code is. It's that is not, secret. no, that's not what no. they teach you there. That's not what they teach you how to do. That's not even the way I don't think ransom notes are written anymore. in <laughs> 2022, but what would I know? But you do not learn. That's not even a code. Well, shit. I, I spent the better part of three hours yesterday doing something. Now I got to do it again. All right. Anyway, folks, you can learn at your own pace and get qualified for in-demand jobs. You can choose what to learn from building basic websites to artificial intelligence to one of those sex robots. They've got a whole course on how to build the sex robot. And a sped don't, I'll tell you one thing, do not no-show and skip class the day they talk about the suction device. If you don't get that one right, you're in a world of hurt. Folks, no matter what your experience level, you're going to be writing real working code in minutes in languages like Python, Hitomosis, Squall, and JavaScript, and other languages such as Bavarian and uh, Polynesian. If you're not sure where to begin, like me, Codecademy will point you in the right direction. As a matter of fact, one of the hazing rituals at Codecademy for the young cadets is they'll put a bag over your head, spin you around three times, and point you in a direction. And wherever you end up, you got to find your way back. You can take Code Academy's programming personality quiz to get tailored career advice and course recommendations. That's what you need course recommendations after they've spun you three or four times and shoved you. 
You're just fucking, you're walking recklessly and attempting to fall is what you're doing. You can get instant feedback. Like, watch out, there's a hole. And your code is tested as soon as you submit it. So the police will be notified if you reveal any secrets that can incriminate you in a court of law. Build your portfolio and get a certificate of completion to make yourself more marketable to future employers or just frame it and hang it on the wall so girls will think you're smart. Folks, you today can land your dream job in web development, programming, computer science, data science, animal husbandry, and tons more. Join the over 50 million people learning to code with Code Academy and see where coding can take you. Get 15% off. That's a big sizable chunk of what you're going to be out on this thing. And it's it's you're you're going for a new career. So splurge, folks. 15% off your Code Academy Pro membership. When you go to CodeCademy.com and use the promo code EXPERIENCE, promo code EXPERIENCE at C-O-D-E-C-A-D-E-M-Y.com, promo code EXPERIENCE, 15% off. Codecademy, it's the best academy (laughs) for you to learn to code. It's Codecademy. All right, you better stop that. We're going to have to start charging people extra for your singing, I think. Well, no, I've just written a jingle, so I expect to be compensated like like Steve Allen, somebody like that that's written thousands of songs. When they're playing that after I'm gone, make sure my estate gets the money. Like Steve Allen. Exactly. Well, speaking of things that nobody understands, am I correct in the statement that I've heard it reported but not confirmed by anybody, hopefully not, that Ric Flair is training to actually wrestle again. I'm not talking about just training. I've seen the footage with Jay Lethal a couple of times. I'm talking about actually going to do this in front of people again. Dave Meltzer's reporting, and Dave's typically been right about Ric Flair stuff throughout the years for one reason or another. He's reporting that Ric Flair is planning on wrestling again. And the rumor is that it's going to be Ric Flair and FTR versus the Rock and Roll Express and someone else. Uh, You know, I've seen the footage. If it wasn't for Flair's health issues that he had that were documented, that he was almost dead and they've done documentaries. And so it's not like I'm spilling secrets on his medical records. Fine. Lawler is is going to be 73 this year. He still wrestles. And actually, he still has the same match he always has. He's It's Lawler. He can do it, right? However, he still uncorks the drop kick on occasion. And he actually died. Um, But Ric Flair can't have a Jerry Lawler match and, and it get over because Lawler's unique. Flair is going to be compared in everybody's minds to the flair of the 70s 80s and 90s even 2000s maybe and no that worries me he's uh, he's 73 this year or will be it's uh no he just he just turned right into february but i mean he had serious surgeries done and shit right and I've just, I mean, obviously FTR would like to team with 
Ric Flair, who, you know, who wouldn't, it's a wrestler or a wrestling fan. And obviously the rock and roll express are still going. Um, Ricky's amazing and hoot. I think he, uh, mentioned this might be his last year. They're doing a, a tour, of, you know, with the rock and roll. And then Ricky may concentrate on wrestling with his son, but you know, again, Ricky Morton wasn't near death in a hospital and he's several years younger than Rick. The point is I saw the footage and if that was just somebody, just some 73 year old guy working with Jay lethal, that would be the most goddamn amazing thing ever. And you probably should sell tickets to that because it looked good for a 73 year old guy and for any, even a 73 year old wrestler, but you can still tell that they're taking it easy. And you know, Rick's taking a couple of bumps, which I, you know, don't know whether I'd recommend, you know, it, but it's not like he's, it's not like he's performing like he once did or can or should be able to. And doesn't that, combined with the health issues that everybody knows that he's had, do people want to see him get in the ring and do those things or will they be squirming and wincing like they used to when when you know cactus was beloved and would take bumps that should kill him and people got worried about him instead of being entertained by him what do you think i think the question of who wants to see it is interesting i think the question of who will promote it is another interesting thing you know rick flair had his retirement match and then he came out of retirement and did a few other things with tna and that hulk hogan tour of australia whatever but even the last few years he had in the ring, it was getting uncomfortable. For me, for someone who grew up loving Ric Flair, I kind of didn't want to see him wrestle anymore. And that was then. That was, what, 15 years ago or something. And now he's going to come out of retirement and he's going to wrestle. The question, I, like I said, who's going to promote this? Is it going to be in AAA or is it going to be on some independent show in North Carolina? Who's going to promote this? And the second thing is, who wants to see it? Even the most diehard Ric Flair fan. Do you want to see him in the ring right now? Well, and that's the thing. We're not saying who wants to sit like nobody wants to see Ric Flair in the rock and roll. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. Exactly. You know, sometimes a lot of people out there, not our people, not dub people, but some people don't get. So I want to drive this home. We're not saying nobody wants to see these people. We're saying it might be uncomfortable, especially watching Ric Flair wrestle given his health history. And I mean, I've said before, you know, bless Heyman. He's almost my age. He's still younger than me, folks. Remember that. And, um, bless him because he still wants to travel around the world and do this shit. And as the guys get in their sixties or whatever, I mean, you know, there's cases like Billy Gunn that's just defying biological science, almost 60, or purchasing but, biological science, however that works. Oh, come on. Um, you know, and, and Nick Bockwinkle, to go back a couple of generations, was in his mid-50s and was as good as anybody in the business today. So, I, you know, I'm proud for him that they're in shape or want to do it or have the drive or whatever. But when you get in your 60s and 70s, except maybe once, if you've had no health concern major surgeries of, I'm not talking about injuries. I'm talking about bad health. 
as you get when you get older. If you haven't had that and you're still in shape that you can go out and have a match every once in a while as an exhibition, that's something that can be promoted. And, you know, and and, and Ricky and Robert have done pretty well with their their last run over the last couple of years. They probably made more money than they did in 1986. But neither one of them have been on death's door with some horrible fucking illness. And obviously so, you have to run in a place with no athletic commission if you're doing this. Well, yeah, and and also that's the thing is is that at some point, you know, even if you're if you're still in good shape for your age and you still can, you know, go through some of the things and have an exhibition of some kind. Thez did it in Japan when he was 74. They made a big deal out of that and <laughs> And he, remember, he ended up going home early because his artificial hip popped out. Luthez. And that's when he said, I shouldn't do this anymore. And he was in better shape than Flair was. Yes, because Flair was, or Flair, Thez, to my knowledge, was never majorly ill a day in his life until, you know, right before the end. So that's why I'm and. If Rick just wants to do this with Jay Lethal to work out and stay in shape and have a little fun and I would trust Lethal with my body before almost anybody else, then that's one thing. And, you know, when they send the videos out, some people are going to say, oh, he he looks great for his age and he can still do it. And other people are going to say, oh, I wish you wouldn't take that slam, even if he's setting him down easy. And here's the other thing. If something happens and you're the promoter, how do you defend yourself? You didn't know that putting a man of this age in the ring, something bad could happen? When his spleen explodes? Whatever it is. I mean, Ric Flair may want to die in the ring, but the person who promotes that show may not have an easy life after that point. Well, and, and you know, again, also, the law of diminishing returns. I loved managing and wrestling and bumping and having the performance and the whole nine yards and... Right now, I am physically capable of dropping a better elbow drop than probably, as people have seen on video, probably still to this day than 85% of the people in the wrestling business. But you know what? When I land, it'll be the form will be perfect on the way up and the way down. When I land, I won't potato the guy that I'm dropping the elbow on but any number of three or four things in my body could pop out in the wrong place. And that's why I ain't going to drop any more elbows at all, because it's not worth it. You're having a little fun doing what you used to do for 10 minutes, and then you fucking either go to the doctor or go to have surgery, or you just hurt and sore for a month. It's not worth it. There was one funny comment I, I saw because one of the listeners, I'm going through the drive through uh, tweets right now, one of the listeners sent this in. So it has a quote from Meltzer saying, the rumor has it, Ric Flair and FTR against the Rock and Roll Express and somebody. And someone replied, I don't know who Roll Express is, but it will be cool to see Dwayne Johnson back in the room. <laughs> <laughs> So it's The Rock and Roll <laughs> Express and somebody. <laughs> that will be a, a rip snorter there, a Donnybrook, a stem winder, if you will. It, I just don't want him to get hurt. I, it just, it, it, I don't know what else to say. 
And and I know it's a work. It's not like Muhammad Ali and Larry Holmes at the end, but it's worse in that he's 30-something years older than Muhammad Ali was at the end. So I hope he don't get hurt. I guess we'll, we'll keep an eye on to see when that's announced. And, uh, you know, but if Rick is training again, Brian... I mean, you know, he was always a beast in training and doing the Stairmaster for an hour before his workout every day. And no matter how much or how little sleep he got or whatever, he was always in the gym. But, you know, Flair also, a lot of people don't realize this. Flair was never the guy to eat a bunch of junk food. Flair was always healthy and took care of his body. And he started the day off with a healthy breakfast, Brian, even if he had not been to bed the night before, he still started the day off with a healthy breakfast. And you can too, ladies and gentlemen, with our friends at Magic Spoon. Brian, you start the day off with a healthy breakfast. I do. Every day. Every day you do. Man, you extol the virtues of it to me when we're not recording. You talk about your favorite flavors of the Magic Spoon. The Magic Spoon, of course, ladies and gentlemen, is the incredible cereal that's sweeping the nation. And actually, I shouldn't say that. It tastes better than floor sweepings. It's covering the nation with deliciousness. That's what it's doing. Because Magic Spoon is the sugar uh, and and junk-filled cereal that you loved when you were a kid without the sugar and the junk. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Now, however, beware the honey nut flavor. They've added one gram of sugar. Only 140 calories a serving. Keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. That's Magic Spoon all over. And right now, folks, you can build your own box out of the Available flavors like cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, cookies and cream, maple waffle, blueberry, cinnamon, plus the newly reformulated honey nut flavor. And you love that honey nut. I'm waiting for them to get the raspberry peanut butter souffle flavor that I like so much. But anyway, right now, folks, if you go to magicspoon.com slash gym, and use the promo code Jim at checkout. You will save $5 off your custom bundle of cereal packed with goodness, picked by you, and backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. They'll bring it to you in a sack. It'll all be in pennies. And they'll say, fuck you, you deserve this. But they'll give you your money back. It's not how so, it works. Remember, it, it's not? No. Do they write a check these days? This is not how it works in any way. I'm just, I'm just wondering. Anyway, remember, folks, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal. You do not have to feel guilty when you eat this at magicspoon.com slash Jim and use the code Jim to save $5 off and a lot of guilt. Do not feel guilty. Eat Magic Spoon. That way you can commit any heinous crime any offense no you can be mean to your spouse no you can steal things from your neighbor don't do that you have a bowl of this cereal and you will feel no guilt it's magic you will feel guilt for things that you do that you are guilty of but you won't feel guilt about what you're putting into your body because it'll be delicious and nutritious and healthy and magic spoon but just don't steal things from your neighbor don't steal anything from anybody let's 
Stay on the straight and narrow. You don't want to feel guilty. On the up and up. So eat Magic Spoon. And, That's right. And keep yourself straight. On the up and up. But if you do stray, if you if you do stray off the path, eat a bowl of this cereal and you won't feel as bad about it. The cops may still come, but <laughs> you won't you won't really feel upset about what you've done. Magic spoon. Promo code Jim. All right, where are we going from here? <laughs> okay, I asked you uh yesterday to prepare for this because I watched the Young Rock here uh, this past Tuesday night, the number one sitcom on NBC that about twice as many people watch as watch any of the wrestling programs. And there was a bunch of wrestling on this Young Rock program this past week. Brian, I'll have you know, because they focused on the the memorable event in 1985 when Leah Maivia, actually she was uh, going through her extortion trial out there on the island and had handed the business over to family and specifically in the young rock episodes it's been Atta, rock's mother oh no uncle lars anderson on this episode lars anderson for some reason is not even a character in this program so basically yeah <laughs> I'm sorry. If you know anything about history, it's all so I know, ridiculous. I know, but basically what has happened in on Young Rock, the television program, is that because Leah Maivia, Peter Maivia's wife, Rock's grandmother, is undergoing the extortion trial in Hawaii because of the outlaw promoter that things were said and she was wiretapped and blah, blah, blah. But So she has handed off the reins, the booking, to... The Rock's mother, Atta, her daughter. And Atta is several times in this program is seen watching the matches and saying, oh, all my storylines are coming together. Which would have been a phrase that in 1985, exactly zero people in the wrestling business would have ever uttered those words. If she had been entrusted with the book instead of the aforementioned Lars Anderson, who appears nowhere in this program. Do your research folks. Um, she would have said, Hey, the angles clicking or the people are with so-and-so, whoever the baby face is, or the heel. So-and-so has got a ton of heat. I think, you know, whatever, but no, my storylines are all coming together. But anyway, the, Backyard Brawl BQ is the name of the Aloha Stadium show in 1985 that Leah Maivia promotes with the help of her booker daughter, Atta. And the show focuses on all the guys who are in town and they have the climactic matches. And then something happens with Rocky Johnson to further the story that they've been telling on Young Rock where there's problems between him and Tony Atlas. <laughs> I know. <clears throat> Brian, you've got the uh, Aloha. That, now, this actually happened, folks. The the Polynesian no. Pro Wrestling. Well, no, there was a show. Now, hold on. Listen there was to- a show that happened. Nothing on that show happened. Listen to the words that are going to come out of my mouth. There was a show that Polynesian Pro Wrestling promoted 
at Aloha Stadium in Hawaii in 1985. However, there were significant differences between the, what actually happened and what was portrayed on Young Rock, and I thought it might be an exercise here for us in entertainment value. If, Brian, you have the exact details on what actually happened over there. I do, and this is a pretty legendary show. I mean, you've heard about yes. it before. Yes, yes, and I've got the notes on what Young Rock told us happened. Well, so I thought we'd compare the two, see where we went sideways and where we were on a straight and narrow. The actual name of the event was A Hot Summer Night, the 85 World Invitational Wrestling Spectacular, not Backyard Brawl Bacue or whatever well, it was. Well, that's the first thing. Now... Now, you know, Polynesian Pro Wrestling did have a television program on the air in Hawaii at that time. And it also, uh, for a limited period of time, was at the Financial News Network. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. There was a cable system in the 80s called the Financial News Network. And for some reason, I don't know if you even know, because I never heard it. Okay, why did why did they air Polynesian Pro Wrestling on the Financial News Network with a crawl at the bottom of the screen with the stock market information while we're watching the wrestling? The guy who ran the network was a wrestling fan, and he had Danny Wolf working for him, and Danny was the one who put together the deal to get <laughs> Continental on the network to get... Remember, I mean, the famous story was they were airing Memphis Wrestling, and the reason they stopped airing Memphis Wrestling was Jerry Jarrett insisted on a fishing show. So they got rid of Memphis wrestling, <laughs> but Polynesian pro wrestling, that's the way people in the States were able to see like the Ripper Collins interview with Jimmy Snuka and Jerry Lawler yeah. wrestling over there because it aired in the States. Well, but did you know that the hosts of the television show were Mean Gene Okerlund and Pat Patterson? No, uh, I did not know that. <laughs> I believe it would have been Ripper Collins and uh, maybe Ripper Collins. Well, Mean Gene and Pat Patterson were doing it on The Young Rock. and Wait, so they had an actor play Pat Patterson on the show? Oh, yeah, Pat. No, Pat's been in. There's a He looks more like Larry Sharp than he does Pat Patterson, to be honest with you. And he's trying to do a French-Canadian accent, and that ain't working out either. But if, if, if they ever do a Larry Sharp biopic, I promise you, the guy that's playing Pat Patterson on Young Rock needs to play the part. Well, if you're going to do a Larry Sharp biopic, I think the most important thing would be the voice. Kind of like the, you know, hey. Like, it, I don't know how to do it exactly, but it was like a whiny Jersey voice. It, it was like a, a a whiny Jersey Jerry Lewis. Hey, Bam Bam, where's my money? I, I can't do it exactly. <laughs> uh, but here's the card, Jim. Hello, well, hold host- on. Hold oh. on now. Okay. Before we go into the card, did you know, Brian, that this show sold out Aloha Stadium, 50,000 people were at this this event. Did you know that? I did not know that, no. How many people were really at this event? Well, no one's exactly sure. Wikipedia apparently has multiple sources, because they're sourced here. It actually has them. It's somewhere between 12,553 and 19,955. Somewhere... In that range was the actual attendance. And I had heard at the time, being in the business, hey, they just drew 15,000 people in Honolulu. So it's in that range. And apparently it was the first Hawaiian show to have a $100,000 gate. That's correct, because think about this. 
Was that the first show that was ever run at Aloha Stadium? I'm not sure. I believe it may have been, and the indoor buildings in any of them in Honolulu or anywhere else didn't seat that many people, so that was the biggest crowd in the history of Hawaii wrestling. They had done, you know, major repeat business in the indoor building that seated, what, seven or 8,000, you know, over the territory days, especially, you know, in the in the golden era of Hawaiian wrestling. But it's still, it's not a big population center and they'd never done and never did and never will do 50,000 people for any wrestling event in Hawaii. But that was the crowd. Did I just want to give you, you've got the, uh, I'll give you the card that was on Young Rock here in a second, but I'm going to mention some names. And when I mention a name, just, just tell me if they were really on the show or not. Can you do that for me? I can do that. Hillbilly Jim. No Hillbilly Jim, no. Iron Sheik. I'm just trying to scan through this real quick because there's a lot of names here. No Iron Sheik. Big John Stud. No Big John Stud. Randy Macho Man Savage. No Randy Macho Man Savage. Once again, this is August 3rd, 1985. No Randy Savage. Miss Elizabeth. Certainly no Miss Elizabeth. Sergeant Slaughter. No Sergeant Slaughter. Jake the Snake Roberts. No, no Jake the Snake Roberts. Bill, Captain Wa- Lou, uh, Bill Captain Watts Lou wasn't going to give you time off to go to Hawaii. No. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 that's true. I don't see Lou Albano here. Of course, George he the Animal Steel. Certainly no George Steele, no. Nikolai Volkov. No Nikolai. Rowdy Roddy Piper. Boy, they just went with the whole WWE locker room. No Piper. <laughs> Mr. Fuji. I don't see Fuji listed here, although he's from Hawaii, so we're getting closer. <laughs> Ricky Steamboat. I don't see Ricky Steamboat on the card either. Greg Valentine. There's no Greg Valentine. Um, Tony Atlas. No, no Tony Atlas. Rocky Johnson. Rocky Johnson is on the card. Exactly. And now we're getting down to the meat of the matter. And Afa and Sika, the Wild Samoans. Actually, they're not on the card either. They're not. They weren't on the card. No. Now, I did pull up... The next year's uh, event, because that's another story in and of itself. Let me just see if Offen Seeker are at least on that one. Uh, no, they're not on that one either. So basically, all the people whose names I just read off were hanging out in the locker room at the uh, backyard brawl barbecue. And they actually, they, they had an angle on the local news where Sergeant Slaughter is on the beach and barbecued Jake's snake. As a promotion, one of the things that Atta was saying, oh, my storylines are coming together. Maybe they're confused because the opening match featured the Cobra. They, that George Takano? George Takano, the Cobra. So Cobra, Boom. Snake. There you go. Who says I don't know my Japanese wrestling? So also, <laughs> did you know, Brian, that at the stadium show... Leah Maivia talked to the locker room and uh, told them, and of course they'd already gotten phone calls, most of them, earlier that day from Vince McMahon telling them about a big event called WrestleMania coming up on pay-per-view, which didn't exist in 1985, and it's going to be big. What date was the Aloha Stadium show? 
This was August 3rd, 1985. So news travels slow when it's going out west uh, with the time zones because WrestleMania in 1985, the first one was in March, and this is August, and they just got the phone call. Must have been that Tony Atlas. That's the thing, because Rocky Johnson didn't get a phone call about WrestleMania, and he's mad and he's upset at Tony Atlas, but they portrayed in this... Well, let me give you what actually happened. And they did a nice montage of the action to Ballroom Blitz by Sweet, which I love that song. But on this event, uh, Brian, at Aloha Stadium, did you know that the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkoff wrestled Ric Flair and Hillbilly Jim in a tag team match? Flair and Hillbilly Jim is the dream tag team I didn't know I needed. (laughs) And then also on the card was Andre the Giant against Big John Studd, Ricky Steamboat against Randy Savage, Jake Roberts against Sergeant Slaughter. Are any of these matches tripping your trigger, Brian? Well, some of these matches were on actual WrestleManias. Yeah. Although not even in the same year. We never got to see Sergeant Slaughter versus Jake Roberts anywhere that I could remember during this period of time. And finally, the main event and the crowning achievement of Atta's storylines. Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas in a steel cage against Roddy Piper and George the Animal Steel with their manager, Fred Blassie. (laughs) And Tony accidentally hits Rocky with an elbow and busts him open. And Rocky walks out on Tony and he goes in the locker room and you see him punching the lockers and everything. And he's mad. And then he gets bolt cutters and then he comes back out and he cuts himself and breaks in the cage and saves the day. So it was all a work that never happened actually. Um, But that was an excuse for the rock in current day to explain to Randall Park on an NBC situation comedy, what a blade job is. Oh my God, I didn't hear anything about that. Well, and he's, if Randall Park goes and Rocky was, he was bleeding or he was busted open or whatever, and, and the Rock just goes, well, you take a little sliver of razor blade and nick yourself. <laughs> well, it's a little more complicated than that, but the I guess that's the best thing. It's a sitcom. We didn't want to get too graphic for the kiddies. But the, again, these are, it's a show about wrestling, but if it wasn't for the fact that The Rock actually is Rocky Johnson's son and Peter Maivia's grandson and blah, 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 and actually did have a history like this, you wouldn't, you would just expect them to make shit up. But since it's about a real person's real childhood, you would think that they wouldn't make all this shit up, or at least they would hire people to play the people that were actually there. Yeah, let me know when they get to Rocky Johnson inviting underage girls to play strip poker. That's the episode Stop I want now. to see that cover. Do you want to hear the actual card? Stop it now. And, oh, and by the way, downtown Bruno was in the locker room at Aloha Stadium. Even though they would not have met for two more years until Rocky went to Tennessee. But give me the card. Give yeah. me the card. Bruno hadn't yet seen Brian Hildebrand and decided what he wanted to do with his life. Yeah. But here's the actual <laughs> card. For the WWF Junior Heavyweight Championship, the Cobra defeated Superfly Tui Salinga. CG Sakaguchi defeated Matt Bourne. Kengo Kimura and Tatsumi Fujinami 
defeated Gary Fulton and Gary Lewis. And by the way, we should jump in and say that that another reason why that New Japan and Anoki's office was represented is because Hawaii was the stopping off point for guys going to Hawaii and or coming back. And the Japanese wrestlers, when they would come to the States, they would stop in Hawaii and have a vacation. And this was a big a big event that they wanted to be a part of. So there you had Fujinami, Takano, Kingo Kimura was highly underrated. And boy, he was a, a fucking guy that could go. But those are some of the top stars of New Japan in 1985 when they were, well, they're still the second biggest promotion in the world, but now it's just smaller than everything used to be. Yeah, here's how you can get New Japan talent in the 80s. Tell Antonio Inoki we have a stadium and cameras. Yes. <laughs> But here's the rest of the card. Jimmy Snuka defeated Iron Mike Sharp. Yeah. Manny Fernandez defeated Black Bart via disqualification for the National Heavyweight Championship. Because Crockett sent people because, and I think Crockett was there for that first one. Everybody wanted to go to Hawaii, right? For the AWA Light Heavyweight Championship, a time limit draw for Steve Regal versus the Mighty Milo. In a women's street fight... A.K.A. Ada was exhibiting lazy booking. <laughs> Debbie Combs defeated the Fallen Angel via disqualification. And that's because Kevin was uh, an integral part of Polynesian pro wrestling and anything out in the Pacific Rim and etc. He loved that part of the country. And obviously Fallen Angel was Nancy Sullivan, A.K.A. Nancy Benoit. And of course, most women's street fights don't end in disqualifications, but we'll leave that there. <laughs> The Samoan connection of Farmer Boy Epo and Leroy Brown defeated. <laughs> that's the Samoan connection, Leroy and Brown. Epo <laughs> and Leroy Brown, they were working the territory at the time, such as it was. It wasn't a full time territory anymore at that point. They defeated the Dalton brothers, Joel and Vern Deaton. Oh, excuse me, the Dalton, the Deaton brothers, Joel and Vern Deaton. Well, and Joel Deaton was uh, uh, partners with Billy Black as the uh, the wild bunch in the early 90s in Japan and did a lot of uh, was one of the thunderfoots in Crockett and did a lot of stuff down south so well if those eight matches haven't excited you just wait there's more there's more little kevin defeated poncho boy in a midget wrestling match richie magnet defeated gypsy joe dusty rhodes and magnum ta Defeated the Russians of Nikita, excuse me, of Nikita Koloff and Crusher Khrushchev. Andre the Giant, Angelo Mosca, and Steve Collins defeated King Kong Bundy, Mark Lewin, and Kevin Sullivan. And by the way, Andre was on the Young Rock episode. He's like the only other one that went. They didn't even show him in the locker room and didn't have any highlights of his match, I don't think. They just, uh, they he was the one that took the outlaw promoter out the night before of the trial and got him drunk and had I love drugs tattooed on his ass so that the people wouldn't believe his testimony and Leah got off. Well, in a singles match for the NWA Polynesian Pacific Heavyweight Championship, Lars Anderson defeated Bad News Allen to win the title. And boy, I wonder how much Lars had to politic to get Bad News Allen co-age to put him over. For the NWA Polynesian Pacific Tag Team Championship, the champions of the Soul Patrol, Rocky and Ricky Johnson, 
defeated the dirty white boys of Len Denton and Tony Anthony. And you know what? Then, by the way, uh, that reminds me when Bruce Pritchard first told me that Rocky Johnson's son was going to get a tryout in Corpus Christi at the TV taping, he didn't say. I don't know if he said son or the way he phrased it at first, I thought he was talking about Ricky Johnson, who was Rocky's younger brother. Right. And that was legitimate too. Wasn't it? Absolutely. Who wrestled a few places briefly and never got over. And I was like, what the fuck? He's been around for years. And Bruce like, no, no, he's only 20 something. He just came back from football. Oh, it's a different guy. Okay. But, um, the soul patrol was, in the WWF was Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas, but Tony didn't go to to the Aloha Stadium show because he was still working for Vince at that time, right? He was, and there were some other people who were working for Vince, but also Tony Atlas and Rocky Johnson hated each other. Let's well, yeah, and they hated out. each other. Yeah, and they made fun of Atlas's foot situation on this program also when he was telling young Rock to keep an eye out for women's feet. But... um the the story they're telling that Rocky Johnson got on the outs with Vince is because he took a booking in Saudi Arabia or something for another promoter and didn't tell Vince or whatever the case. But at any rate, continue with this card. Yeah, two more matches. Antonio Inoki went to a double countout with Bruiser Brody. Yeah. That was a big match in 85, obviously. That was a big match anytime. And in the main event for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, Ric Flair went to a double disqualification with C.V. Afi. And boy, you can tell that Lars Anderson was a lazy booker by that point because they couldn't get a finish out of Anoki and Brody, I can understand. Yeah, that was them, not the booker. That was Anoki um, and Brody not being able to get a finish. Yeah, yeah, they're, you know, that's, that's one of those matches where you have to put up with the fact that you're going to have no finish if you want to make it. But... They couldn't beat C.V. Afi in, in Honolulu with Ric Flair with the NWA title on the line or do a, well, I guess they couldn't do an hour Broadway. They already had 15 matches. What time did that stadium show start? I do not have a time for the start of the event here. I'm wondering I've if that's an poster. afternoon show. Yeah, I've seen the post. Oh, yeah. The, well, it, I, when I first got to Crockett and we started doing, even though we were living in, in Georgia, I would have to come up to Charlotte for the promo day once a week, right? And they were doing promos, Flair and Dusty and Magnum, those guys that were going out were doing promos for that show in, at, to send out uh, for their television at Crockett's offices. And they kept reading all these matches. I was like, what the fuck? And it was just, it was an attempt to, because everybody else was getting hot and they had access to Crockett's guys, their own guys, Inoki's top guys and Kevin Sullivan, Mark Lloyd, guys that are independents. So they said, why not? But I've got to think that between the, even though they had somewhere north or south of 15,000 people, between the rental on the stadium and the payoffs and the expenses, that was, nobody retired off that show, but it certainly, uh, it, it, it certainly was better than the, they did the same thing. And, and you know, they had to be thinking about Texas stadium the year before too. Right. And then they did the same thing. Texas stadium did the next year. They do it again. And instead of having a match that needed a stadium, that a stadium needed a match. Well, the drop off here was bigger than Texas stadium. The next year they ran again, summer, August of 1986, 
They drew just under 2,000 people. The card kept changing. Here are the matches, the final main event matches as they actually transpired. Bruiser Brody and Grizzly Smith went to a no contest and a body slam challenge. Wait a minute, Grizzly Smith? Yep. In 1986? I did not even know that. August 9th, 1986. But a body slam challenge, so they were just trying to pick each other up. A body slam challenge went to no contest. No finish for even that. Well, Brody wasn't going to take a slam, and Grizzly at that point couldn't. For the NWA British Commonwealth Championship, Steve Ricard, the champion, defeated Jerry Lawler with Paula Lawler via disqualification. And Paula was his wife at the time. Antonio Inoki defeated Hacksaw Higgins via disqualification. Oh, boy. Wait a minute. Now, Higgins had to be working there, so they wouldn't even beat one of their local guys with Antonio Inoki? Well, he may have been working for New Japan at that time, and maybe they were trying to do something. Ah, uh, Maybe. Okay. Uh, also, Bruiser Brody, I guess they now are friends, Bruiser Brody, Grizzly Smith, and Keith Hart teamed <laughs> up against The Sheik, Mark Lewin, and Prince Kamala Mala, and it went to a no contest in a six-man tag team barbed wire match. Oh, my God. <laughs> what the fuck is that match? Kamala Mala. Finally, in a steel cage match for the NWA Polynesian, Polynesian excuse me, Pacific Heavyweight Championship, Lars Anderson defeated Superfly Tui to win the title. Why isn't Lars Anderson on the show? That would make the show more interesting. Go to the Aspen Wrestling Institute, find him, bring him back. Well, now, when when did they have the falling out out there? It was all happening right around this period of time. I think it was like 86, 87. 85, 86, 87. I mean, that was when everything kind of went up and right back down. In 1980, when we went to Atlanta for the uh, WFIA Wrestling Fans Convention... I think it was on Channel 36, an independent station that had just, I think, come on the air at that point. Lars had his World League Wrestling show on the air in Atlanta. And they would just show film from other places because he didn't have a promotion per se, but he was still involved with the Hawaii office then and and different, you know, uh, independent groups around the world. And they were who they were trying to push Steve Kidd Collins as their boy wonder at that point. He was just on this show. Wasn't he on the 85 show? Hold on. He was, I think he was. Yeah. It was, uh, Andre, the giant Angelo Mosca and Steve Collins defeated King Kong Bundy, Mark Lewin and Kevin Sullivan. Yeah. In 1980, he was Steve kid Collins. I think by 85, he'd outgrown the kid. All right. Have we, outgrown but there you have it. Now, thankfully we've got young rock to, uh, keep us up to date on, the various uh, major stadium shows in the history of wrestling. And I've just got to think that, you know, the whole thing stresses me out trying to keep this thing straight. I think, and it's, it's got to be stressing out the writers of young rock. If, if rock is remembering these episodes from his childhood, do you think he got into some of King Curtis's magic cookies in Hawaii? And that's why he remembers all these, Wrestlers that were not there, that he remembers them as being there? What do you think? Is he is he an, under some spell of the the legendary King Curtis, or does he just 
does he need somebody to talk to, Brian, to to sort through these these facts from fiction and fantasy? There's no reason you can't do both. Well, folks, that's exactly right. There's no reason you can't do both. You can both talk to someone to separate facts from fantasy, and you can also have some of King Curtis's magic cookies. But we don't recommend those, especially if you have, I don't know, any kind of functioning brain or circulatory system. But nevertheless, if you want to talk to somebody about all these bad television programs, our friends at BetterHelp, they're the ones. They've been sponsoring our program for quite some time, and we have had numerous testimonials from many of the listeners that they have been helped or aided in some way in problems or situations they had by talking to somebody at BetterHelp. You can be burned out on life itself without even knowing it, but you can exhibit symptoms like lack of motivation, feeling helpless or trapped, detachment, fatigue, etc., watching wrestling over and over when you know it's bad for you, all those things. But burnout may not just come from work. It can come from anything in life. So BetterHelp Online Therapy, those folks want to remind you to prioritize yourself and that talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anybody on camera. You don't have to bathe. That's always a plus. And it's more affordable than in-person therapy, lower overhead, no roof. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. And our listeners, the Cult of Cornet members, get 10% off their first month's services at betterhelp.com slash J-C-E. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash J-C-E, 10% off your first month's services. Speaking of better help, I wish Vince would get some because we had to watch Raw this past week, actually part of it. I mean, I know I said this a week or two ago. I'll say the same thing. There's no variety anymore. The opening of Raw, what was this, May the 9th? But we're recapping the week. And a lot of people say, you know, you ought to do a Raw recap on Tuesday and get it right out. Fuck, I'm not working on their fucking schedule. They're working on mine. I'm recapping the wrestling shows that we've seen since I last spoke to you people. And and our show has the circulation now that it's destination listening. So a lot of our people don't watch Raw anyway. They just listen to us take the piss out of it. So nevertheless, May the 9th is when it was, right? That's when we started this last week. Correct. The opening segment was an RK Bro promo about the Usos. And that's when I wrote, remember, it, it seems like the tag teams now are out every week to interact with each other, all three of them. We've got Street Profits, RK Bro, and the Usos. So this week, RK Bro did a promo about the Usos and then had a match with Street Profits. Because they interrupted RK Bro. And as soon as they came out, I said, I bet we're going to get a match. Does the same thing happen every week in an, involving most of the same people? They come out and talk. Somebody else comes out and talks mean to them. They have a fucking match. Yeah, that's kind of the raw formula for the last 15 years. I tried to listen to the RK Bro interview because, okay, I'm going to listen to, I started calling him Spicoli. I'm going to listen to Riddle talk 
and see if I can stand this. I tried to watch him work last week. And he sounds like Spicoli in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but without the acting ability of Sean Penn. And I don't, he's a guy that sounds goofy, and he's got birds and bunny rabbits flying out of his ass. And then they had the tag team title match, and RK Bro won and celebrated, and they replayed it, and we were 27 minutes into the show by the time that that was done. AEW has nonstop wrestlers on their shows. They have too many guys. So people just randomly show up on a show, and then there's other guys that disappear for weeks and months at a time. Raw has like eight people. <laughs> we can't get rid of any of them. <laughs> and they each are on that show for a minimum of 45 minutes every Monday. <laughs> at least there's a clear choice, folks. You got the, the giant douche and the turd sandwich. Um... Austin Theory did a live promo. And who's the new announcer they've got that does interviews? He's got a, is it a British accent or he's, he's from somewhere across the pond? Oh, I've seen him. I don't know what his name is, like Simon or something. I don't know. Simple Simon met the pieman going to the fair, said Simple Simon to the pieman, pieman, let me taste your wares. Nevertheless, he interviewed Austin Theory. The announcer sounds like a robot reading a prepared statement, but Theory, I've got to call him Austin every once in a while because it sounds fucking goofy without it. Remember I said I'd like to hear him not nodding and agreeing with Vince's growling. He's got some oomph, and he looks and he sounds fairly comfortable. And he's got the facials, and he's got some animation in his speech, so... And the future is theory. I get a doodle something else comes along. I'd rather have the future is Austin theory, but it was short and sweet, but he didn't do a bad job. Did you see this part? I did. It was okay. The one part that made me laugh was he was talking about himself in the third person, Ricky Henderson style. But it's hard to do that when your name is just theory. Yeah. So he's like, and the next champion will be theory. Like the way he said it, it was so awkward. Just. Give the guy a fucking name. Well, later on, at some point, he'll be proven and verified, and then he can be fact. Um, That'll be when he goes to AEW. <laughs> no, please. We can't, we can't wish that on him this early in his career. He hadn't done anything to us. Um, okay, I'm sorry. I may have a problem with you here, but God damn it, the Judgment Day are showing... AEW and Malfeasance Black and all the rest of those knuckleheads how to do the House of Black. Judgment, it's the House of Edge. Judgment Day is what the live promo. Edge got a new haircut. He and Priest were dressed up. Ripley's dressed up. They all look like stars. I believe Edge's delivery, I like Edge's delivery because he sounds like he believes what he's saying, he's not stammering, he's not reciting. You know, it, it, and whether or not it's still a little Hollywoodish, he's doing a good job with it. I, I want to hear the guy that's doing the promo believe what he's saying so I can. And Edge is doing it. He's doing a great job. Damien Priest is back to having some bass in his voice. 
where he looks and sounds like a grown man. And then he gave the big introduction to Rhea Ripley, who looks fantastic, and held her part up verbally. And again, they all they have their little reasons for being mad at society, and hers is those nasty kids selling her autographs on eBay. But they they tried to what her, and it didn't throw her off. She still did her, her business. And then right at the point where Edge is promising that his movement isn't done and they want more and they like they're teasing bringing somebody else in, as most cult groups do. Look, we brought hundreds of thousands into ours. And I'm thinking, oh, I, I was into it. I wanted to hear who else they're talking about. And then Liv Morgan's music interrupts, and here she comes. The girl that Ripley turned on, but she comes out happy and slapping hands. And then when she gets to the ring, she puts her mean face on at Rhea Ripley, and they have a match. So they're just, they expect us to think that they're just making this shit up as we go along and people are just uh, wandering out and having impromptu matches. But I love the promo, the promo culminating in Liv Morgan's entrance was a massive letdown. What'd you think? Again, I don't like them as much as you do, although I'll admit they're doing this a whole lot better than the House of Black, which is one of the worst, I don't know what you call it, one of the worst <laughs> factions we've seen on a major wrestling show in a very long time. To be Should fair, we call though, them that, that fucking faction? They're just terrible. I mean, Tony was smart enough to keep them off TV this week after that bullshit two weeks ago, but they're terrible. But Edge has stolen their entire thing. I mean, even the entrance where he's there and all of a sudden the other two come up from the sides. That was Malachi's entrance. But, but, it, but this is shot <laughs> professionally and it looks good. And they're, they're somehow everything they do is just more professional. I'm not disagreeing with you about that, but again, I don't like just the uh, hokiness of it inherently, although we'll see where it goes. I'm happy that Edge got a haircut. I thought that added a lot to it, that he does now look a little bit different than he has for the last year and a half that he's been around. And we'll yeah, see. Yeah, he, he, uh, he dropped the Jeremiah Johnson slash Grizzly Adams look for something more leaderish. Hey, what does it take for a babyface to get upset in WWE? They don't, a lot of them don't get pissed too often, do they? There's no righteous indignation. There's no wanting revenge or, you know, payback, justice, whatever. There's just, we got to smile when we come out and slap some hands. And then when we get to the ring and we see the person that sodomized us with a fence post auger, then we're going to show on our face that we're not happy with them. But Rhea Ripley wrestled Liv Morgan, and this was, it's a mismatch whichever way you look at it. If you look at it as a shoot athletic competition, Ripley's a foot taller, 50 pounds bigger, and looks like something. And Liv Morgan looks like that she just recently, you know, discontinued her lemonade stand in the front yard. Um, if you look at it as a work, then Rhea Ripley is the best female worker on the roster that's not named Charlotte Flair. And I'm starting to think that that's neck and neck. And she's going to be the top female star in the business in three years. And <sighs> Liv Morgan. Eh. So at least she dominated the thing and beat her, which is what 
the result should have been. Um, I love the standing clover leaf. Rhea, Rhea Ripley looked great, and the match was what it should have been, which was pretty one-sided. But, I mean, again, Ripley, with the look and the build and the the way she works, and if she keeps improving at this rate, she's rock level for the females, in my opinion. But that's just me. And then after she wins, then they do the sports entertainment business where she gets the cloverleaf back on Liv Morgan and the referee standing outside the ring on the floor, just looking concerned while the other two heels are standing there in the ring, watching the girl beat up the girl. Cause they can't beat up the girl, but then music Finn Balor comes out and I'm like, does the whole show have to run together? And then AJ music. And I'm like, what is fucking happening? But there was no save and big brawl. It's Balor against Priest next, and AJ is just out there to watch, I guess, for some reason, because they're all mad at each other. And then they go to the break, they come back and have the next match, but I'm jumping ahead of myself. Uh, heap praise on Rhea Ripley. Genuflect in her direction. You're telling me to? Yeah, I've done mine, now you do yours. Yeah, she's really good. Let's see who they program her with. Well, that wasn't very full-throated. Um, did you watch Balor and Priest? You know what? I didn't, and he's a talented guy, but Finn Balor is one of those people that never captures me enough to really want to sit down and watch his stuff when it's on live. So I kind of walked out of the room. Well, it, I honestly was a fan of his stuff. I mean, he was Prince Divot 10 years ago. I was a fan of his stuff then. And he has good matches. He's in great shape. He's a solid professional. But hasn't he just done like five two-minute jobs for Austin Theory on TV in the last couple months? And every time you see him, he's getting beat. And he's not – they just run him out to do things with people without – it's other people they're trying to get over. So they had a match. And Balor went for a dive on the outside of the floor. And Rhea Ripley gets in front of Priest and stops him. And then Edge rolls in the ring and <laughs> hits Balor with a spear and gets disqualified. And AJ comes in, but the heels outnumber them and they beat up the baby faces. And then Edge and Priest did a modified Midnight Express double goozle on AJ. You know, boom, hitting both directions. And that was they just the heels just beat up the baby faces at the end of everything. No referees try to help, and then they the heels stand there and milk it, and then they go to a break. So that's what you missed. Same kind of shit as always. Yeah, they didn't miss anything. Um, MVP, I'll have you know, is still trying to talk almost over. He is... <laughs> I mean, he's... MVP, I suggest you try to pick up a turd by the clean end. You'll have an easier time. Um, And now the what they've done here is... Lashley and MVP were a great combination and Lashley was one of the champions and was in the conversation with Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns as a single and and he had some talented flunkies around him Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander well they broke all them up and now they've got MVP out here in the segments that people are fast forwarding because it's involving almost. And here comes 
poor Cedric Alexander now is trying to get back with MVP and get on almost side. And Lashley came out and killed security, which that was that was great. Lashley and Wardlow on the various programs beating up security is a guaranteed 60 to 90 seconds of gold. But basically, again, <laughs> Lashley comes out, beats up security, beats up Cedric Alexander. He and almost go face to face. And then whatever they do physically brings everybody down to a fucking state of deep, dark depression. This time he Lashley would manage to clothesline almost barely over the top rope. I have seen cows take quicker, snappier bumps. And then he hurt locked Cedric while the other heels walked off. And that was it. Nobody cared. The people were, you know, eh. Cedric worked hard. Lashley worked hard. Security took great bumps. Almost is the giant astronomical black hole of charisma. Not only does he have none, but he sucks in the charisma of those around him and leaves it in, in a vacuum. Do you see this? Yes. You summed up my notes earlier when you said <laughs> nobody cares. Do you have there? Did you keep note of where this was in the show? How far in the raw were we by this point? Well, I don't have the times down, but I, well, I get first segment was half an hour and 35 Oh, that was a long one. Yeah, and then the House of Edge had a few segments there. Yeah, so we're we're an hour and a half in. <sighs> Cruella DeVille has been relieved of her management duties. Apparently, this <clears throat> the circumstantial evidence that they've piled up against her, such as everything she's said and done on videotape on national television for the past three months, led them to make the decision that she was crooked. And now she's just a wrestler. And Adam Pierce had to give her that news. And then she goes out for a match. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to try this again. I, I think she looks great. And I think she can talk. And I saw her wrestle one match the other day. And eh, I'm going to watch. I'll see again what's going on with Cruella. And guess who or her who? Guess her who? Ha, who, ha, who? Ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, yeah, ting, I, walla, walla, bing, bing. I don't remember who or who or here I was in the first match. <laughs> yeah, well, it made Diana look like uh, some kind of who. <laughs> um, guess who her opponent was? The returning Alexa Bliss. So I was going to watch Cruella wrestle, but I have stated in the past that after all that fiend shit and whatever the thing was that. Alexa Bliss did where she was puking black pea soup and all that other stuff. I would never watch her. And when she was announced, I started to fast forward. And I swear to God, this was the match. Alexa Bliss kicked her, hit a sloppy DDT, took forever to get to the top rope, and did a, a splash off the top, all 90 pounds of her, and beat Cruella one, two, three. So this 90-pound little blonde supernatural just beat Cruella DeVille in 12 seconds. And she didn't even have her supernatural power. She had her doll, but she was back to just being a normal person. 
Well, if you call that normal. For WWE, that's normal. <laughs> and so, she was back to being that old, but with no reference made to her being able to, you know, spin things with her mind or whatever else. Or spin plates. Bend spoons. Bin spoons with her, her her bare thoughts. Who was that? Yuri Geller. Yuri Geller, yeah. Yuri Geller used to bend the spoons with the power of his mind. I always liked the amazing Kreskin better because th- there were radio transmitters in his glasses. I know they were. The frames were too thick. Are we continuing right. on with Raw? <laughs> yeah. Elikiel was in the ring. He's the younger brother of, e- of Elias, Elikiel. And then they introduced Kevin Owens's older brother from winnipeg or whatever ken owens and here comes kevin steen in a gray wig and obviously the premise is for whatever reason that we have still to be determined they have decided to bring elias back he looks like a they've shaved a chimpanzee's ass because he he look he either looks like cliff compton or golden boy chick donovan physically in little skimpy tights with no beard, and he's supposedly his younger brother now, but everybody else is going along with it except for Steen, who is just being driven to distraction because nobody will admit that he's really Elias. They did the lie detector test last week, blah, blah, blah. They did this promo, and it lasted a while, and I made a note that there was no way that I would watch this if you. Brian, we're being held hostage at gunpoint at this particular moment, and the only way that you could be freed to rejoin your family and friends was if I was to sit down and watch this promo. I got news for you. You ain't going to make it. Well, thankfully for all of us, I'm safe, and I'm here today. And who's smarter in wrestling than Kevin Owens? He could have gone to AEW, gotten a bunch of money, and played with his friends, or he could take a whole bunch more money from Vince McMahon and do bad comedy. Because since he signed that deal, it seems like he's gotten sillier and goofier and more Vince-like in terms of the silliness and the goofiness to the point where we now have multiple weeks of him trying to prove that this guy isn't who he clearly isn't. I mean, it's so stupid. They've made him a child. They've made him childlike. I am so glad that Kevin Owens does not have to walk out in front of a sold-out building in Toronto in the main event carrying a Canadian flag to show the representation of his country. That would be cheesy shit. Instead, he should come out in a gray wig and be talking to a guy about why he's not his own brother. Who gives a shit about Elikiel and why did anybody care about Elias? Why does anybody even supposed to care that he's claiming to be his own brother? There is no heat to this. There's no reason to want to see a match. They fought with each other. Gable and Otis came down and helped beat up Elikiel, and then they stood over him while nobody tried to help him. The same as always. Just different faces doing the same thing in a different segment on the same show. And then Adam Pierce did an interview with Becky Lynch and Oscar. And Brian, I will go on videotape, or let's say video, I will go on tape, on audio, on record, if you will, in saying that if some Asian American group 
support group of some description does not picket or protest the WWE over this horseshit with Oscar, then nothing in modern society is racist and everything should be allowed on television. Nothing is racist. If this isn't racist with old Oscar there, then nothing is racist. So when I have to be, the street prophets would do the Mr. Bones routine just great. If I have to be the, the, the arbitrator of what's in bad taste related to somebody's ethnic heritage, then we're in serious fucking trouble. How can you excuse or explain or bypass or overlook this woman? I'm surprised she doesn't have hemorrhoids from straining in that stereotypical what the fuck is this? And why is nobody complaining about this? Because they like her and uh, she seems happy. But I watched this promo this week with your thoughts in my mind because you've talked about this before. First, I'll just say Becky Lynch is fantastic. Everything she Wonderful. does is, is yeah. incredible. She's a star. The magnitude, they don't have too many on the men's side. She's incredible. But I watched this, and I like Asuka in the ring, and I always have, and I really liked her in NXT, but she was a different performer in terms of presentation then. But you're not wrong. I mean, she's portraying a Japanese person the way, like in a 1980s movie, you know, they would to make it over no, the top. No, this is 1960s sitcom. This is, they, 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 were, they were way modern and informed in the 80s compared to this. Knowing, you know, having in mind what you said and what you think about this and watching it with that, it does seem a bit over the top. <laughs> That's all. I just, I just wanted to hear somebody else saying it. Um, but Becky so they, was great, but Becky was fantastic. They, well, Becky, Becky Lynch is to me is the best promo of the female roster. And, and as far as working as a heel and having that mindset, if they didn't have Becky and Charlotte and Ripley, they'd be they'd be in trouble. Speaking of in trouble, the job guy that fought beer my hand this week, uh, it's, a, it's a deal, I guess. It's an ongoing deal. Every job guy that we've never heard of comes out and says, cause, and I, this comes straight from Vince McMahon. This is a Vince McMahon. The job guy comes out and says, I'm from here in this town, even though they're not. And they'll find some place for them to work locally. They can drop that mention in or whatever. And then I'm doing this because I have children. This guy said, I got triplets at home. I have to feed my family. Well, goddamn, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they've got job openings where you don't have to fucking fight a 300-pound malevolent killer on national television for one night for one payoff. You could actually get a job. Go to Code Academy. Learn to code. Do something where you'd have ongoing income for those triplets. They only got to eat once. You're going to be in a goddamn iron lung after he gets finished with you. And that's what happened. He killed another one. Did you notice the refreshing difference in the Cody Rhodes backstage promo that he did before his match with Theory? What do you mean by refreshing difference? He is the only person that I've ever seen that managed to actually look natural while not looking at the camera on a backstage promo. 
He did look at the interviewer. He interacted with the interviewer. He looked off into space a time or two as if he was, you know, thinking and contemplating what he was saying, but he didn't, he wasn't standing there looking like he was in a police lineup and not knowing what to do with his eyes or his hands or whatever else, like everybody else does in that situation. It must be those acting classes. There's not one wrestler in the business who has tried as hard and practiced as hard as being fake as Cody Rhodes. So the idea, got that down. Would, the idea that he would master Vince McMahon's way of being completely disingenuous <laughs> is not a surprise at all. I'm telling you, but you know, we're putting him over. He's good at it. And then here we go for the United States Heavyweight Championship, Cody Rhodes and Austin Theory. And again, you can see the difference. With the big entrance, he looks bigger in this environment, Cody does. He's not an indie wrestler. He's not even necessarily a professional wrestler. He's a sports entertainer. That's what he is. And in this environment, with these presentations, the way they do things, it fits. And this audience is taken to him as a star because he's being presented as one. Not because he was in a cool group in Japan five years ago, but because what he's doing here and now in this environment is being promoted as one of the most important things going on. And you can't teach that. You have to do it. So this the audience, the WWE audience already, Cody, Cody. And there's kids in the audience. Did you see that? Children. Children under the age of 14 or 15. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, I was looking forward to seeing this because, as we mentioned, Theory's a prodigy. And Cody is so smooth and, and is he can lead a match like this. And this is kind of his bailiwick, if you will. And they had a good line the last time that Cody Rhodes was in the WWE Theory was in detention in high school. Six years ago, he was. He was still in high school. So they they had a good match. Nice stuff at a good pace. Theory's aggressive. He stays on him. For this one, here's another thing. Generally, on Raw, you get a 20-minute promo. You get fucking 10-minute entrance. They wrestle for two minutes and go to a commercial break because the matches aren't important. But here... They gave them time at the start. They went a while before finally theory cleared off the desk and, and uh, was going to put Cody through the desk some kind of way, but Cody made a little comeback on the desk and boom and theory got back in the ring and they went to the break there. And they came back and they gave him some time at the other side for heat on Cody. And then they do the double crossbody, double knockout. Both of them go down. Cody makes his comeback, hits the moonsault body block and gets a big pop on a two count. Theory hits false finish, gets a two count. Then Cody Cutter, and somebody brought this up, and it's interesting. There is no difference between the Cody Cutter and the RKO besides the name. And, uh, I mean, Orton goes into it differently. Cody jumps up on the rope. Orton comes out of nowhere, whatever. But you can tell again that Vince McMahon is sold on, yeah, we're going to let Cody be Cody and do all the Cody things because, I mean, it's, it's, 
let's face it, in the overall scheme of things, the RKO is more over than the Cody Cutter in all of professional wrestling, but they're still letting him do it. So Cody Cutter, the fans got up, and then here comes Seth Rollins, DQ. He's all over Cody. Theory completely disappears, and the referee stares and does nothing. And Seth curb stomps Cody on the announce desk. And the fake boos were just bullshit over the top. Whoa, we the, the fake boo machine hated that. But so we get a good match and then a sudden, where have we seen this for? Somebody just rolls in, boom, DQ, heat, everybody else involved disappears because it's not their scene. And nobody tries to do anything about it. And any official there on the scene just stares at him but it's a good match for raw it's a very good match for raw typically cody rhodes has been in the best match on the pay-per-view or on any raw he's on since he returned to wwe and a lot of the things that made cody different from the pack in a negative way let's say in aew make him better than the pack than everyone else in wwe he fits into this mold this style of talking this style of presentation the fans are into him. This was a good match. I hate the, you know, the bullshit finish, but every now and then you have to do it. And you brought up something earlier about Vince McMahon going with Cody. Has to make you wonder, considering when he was negotiating with Cody, when did they get wind that Roman Reigns was going to want to take time off or do other things and only work a part-time mm-hmm. schedule? Because you got to figure that went into any negotiations with Cody and they're using him like a top guy. They have him. I said SummerSlam the other day, the Money in the Bank promos in Vegas are Cody in the stadium. I wonder if Cody's negotiation was the best time for Cody and he didn't know it because he didn't know that Roman Reigns was going to take off. Good point. And I guess they're not in the same social circle, so he wouldn't have been privy to that. So the thing, things, sometimes the cake does rise when you put it in the oven. Other times it's deflated. Speaking of deflated, the next match was Sasha and Naomi against Dewdrop and Nikki Ass. And obviously, I was going to skip this, but again, slow in picking up the remote control. Did you see the first 20 seconds of this match after the bell? I saw some of this match, but whatever you saw, I must have missed because I don't <laughs> even know what you're talking about. Naomi threw two flying drop kicks at Dewdrop and missed both of them. What right in a row? The first two things, drop, kick, miss, drop, kick, miss. And to be fair to Naomi, in one of them, because she was running at Dewdrop, Dewdrop kind of backed up a step or two, anticipating she was going to hit with a drop kick, but Naomi's so short and her legs are short. And when she tried to jump up, you've seen sometimes when people who can't throw a drop kick will lean back too much and not jump up enough, and they just end up falling over backwards and throwing (laughs) their feet up in the air? Yeah. Well, on the first one, Naomi's right foot kind of grazed Dewdrop, but on the second one, she just fell in front of Dewdrop. Neither one touched, and Dewdrop just staggered back in the corner. Anyway. Um, So Miz apparently wants to be the referee when Mustafa Ali faces Champa. And I don't know what Champa, why gimmick this? It's Champa's first match on Raw, right? 
he has not wrestled on Raw yet. He just left NXT. He's been involved in a few things, but I don't think we've seen an actual match, no. Okay, so now his first match was Champa versus Mustafa with Miz as the referee. And, of course, Miz is being the heel because he's not happy with Mustafa Ali. Champa looks great, worked hard as always. I don't see what the fuck they're doing with this Mustafa Ali. Um, But now, unfortunately, Tommaso was the heart and soul of NXT, and now he's a middle-card heel on Raw being used in Miz angles and Miz fast counted it and Tommaso. So his debut on raw, he had to have a heel fast count for him to beat a middle card guy that hasn't been around in ages. Um, more Lacey Evans. I, I, at this point, my God, has she, did she somehow cross an old gypsy woman in a previous life is Maria Ospenskaya. In the sky, looking down on Lacey Evans, cursing her existence. I've said before that it's a great story, but my God, they could have found a better way to tell it than have this poor girl stand up against the wall and and do a hostage statement. But it's getting fucking old. And if I see that picture of her shaggy, redneck, hillbilly, toothless, alcoholic father again, is there another picture of this fucking reprehensible human being where we could just change that up a little bit? That's the only B-roll. She's standing there telling this awkward story, and every once in a while they'll flash up a picture of her father just to remember who you're mad at. I stand by the statement, if he ever showed up in wrestling, he'd be the hottest heel in the world. But more of it. And then finally, it's a three-hour show, right? They get to the main event, Bianca Belair versus Oscar with Becky Lynch on color. And after they show the VTR of Bianca at the Kentucky Derby, the bell rang for the main event. We had five minutes left on the air in a three-hour show. So I didn't settle down to get too invested in this one. But they had a three-minute match, and then Becky Lynch pulled Bianca out and ran her into the steps and beat up Oscar. And she did some good heel work, but it was at the it was at the heel end of a fucking long show. Did I just not let you comment about the last several things? Well, I think that worked out just fine because I watch <laughs> Raw live. I don't watch it on DVR when I can avoid it. I try to just keep it on live and take it off mute when it's something interesting. And I usually fall asleep by the end of it, and I miss the main event. Well... It was three minutes. So that was raw. That was raw. I wish I, you know, I, I watched the thing, but I just, I just can't bear the thought sometimes of listening to it. So, you know, you know what I'm thinking about doing from now on, Brian, I'm thinking about putting on the modern raw on my television set, but I'm thinking about listening to the soundtrack of 1980s Mid-South Wrestling on my Raycon wireless earbuds. Oh, that sounds like a great idea, unless, you know, Joel's on commentary. Well, but even Joel Watts, now with excrement around, Joel Watts sounds like Gordon Soley these days. But folks, everybody will sound like Gordon Soley or James Earl Jones or the voice of God himself on your Raycon everyday wireless earbuds because they look, feel, and sound better than ever with the optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit you may think that the gel tips would shake and shimmer 
or be sticky because every time I eat Jello, it's sticky and it kind of wiggles there. But no, this the Jello that they make these tips out of on the everyday earbuds are solid and they give you the perfect in-ear fit. As a matter of fact, if you leave your head out in a hot sun for a significant period of time, they will melt right into your ear holes, ladies and gentlemen. No, so they will not. They will fit the no. exact shape of no. the inside of your ear because they melt that way, and then it's perfect. You never have to take them out because you can't. They will not melt, and you do have you you you. Ah, Jesus Christ! You have nothing to fear of these melting in your ears. Stop saying these things. You have nothing to fear of these melting in your ear. Or I had nothing to do on that hot afternoon, so I thought I'd sit down and write you a line. I've been meaning to call you, but anyway. Raycons offer three sound profiles to match what you're listening to. They've got the Jim profile if you're listening to me, the Brian profile if you're listening to him, and the what the fuck are you doing profile if you're listening to anything else, because why would you? But they also have noise isolation and awareness modes, so you can choose to be immersed in sound or to be able to hear your surroundings when it might be necessary, such as there's things falling on you or bearing down on you at a high rate of speed. Raycon gives you eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. And who knows, the way things are going these days, you might not have 32 hours left in your own life. So splurge on these Raycons and you'll never have to charge them up again if things go sideways. But you can even charge them wirelessly. I don't know how, but you can. It says it right here. And this is a big point with me. You get the same quality audio as the other premium audio brands, but at half the price, half the price. And that doesn't mean that they won't last, that they're not quality because we've heard all these stories. They, they actually uh, disseminate some of these stories when they hear about them. If you've had a story about your Raycons surviving, getting lost in the rain or a snowstorm, falling three stories, that guy was really lucky. He fell the three stories and his Raycon still worked. I believe I mentioned this. The mortician managed to pry him out and give him back to the family. The Raycon still worked. So it's no wonder that the everyday earbuds from Raycon have over 49,000 five-star reviews. You'd think they'd get to 50,000 real soon. Maybe we better get an update. But right now, you can check them out. My guess is you're going to want to leave one of those five-star reviews, maybe six stars if you're listening to it in Tokyo. You can go to buyraycon.com. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N, buyraycon.com, slash J-C-E, right now, today. Soon as we're done with this program, listen to us first, and get 15% off your entire Raycon order, anything on the site, buyraycon.com, slash J-C-E, 15% off. Listen to your podcast, your music, everybody but your nagging spouse and your howl-at-the-moon kids on the everyday wireless earbuds from Raycon. That's right. What are you doing this week over at the Arcadian Vanguard Network? Another fun and action-packed week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter, at Super Podcast, or on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. Once again, I want to remind everyone, original 1984 Mid-South Wrestling Calendars, now on sale. These are from the original print run that Pro Wrestling Enterprises did in 1983 for the 1984 Mid-South Calendars. Get them today, tinyurl.com 
slash 1984MidSouth, tinyurl.com slash 1984MidSouth. Also want to make mention of the Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling Podcast, hosted by Mike Sempervivi and Roman Gomez. The new episode out right now. The boys are now in 1983 with their weekly reviews of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Hear the podcast today at midatlanticpod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcast, the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast. Also want to make mention of Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam at mcadampod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. This week, John looks at 1982. He's had a few interesting episodes recently looking at Georgia Championship Wrestling from 1982. This time he's looking at May of 1982. Hear it today at mcadampod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcast, Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! Go through the archive today at 605pod.com. I didn't expect that one. Or look for the 605 Super Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mothership. I didn't yell at that time. All right. All right. Um, And we should make mention, even this is Saturday morning. Last night was SmackDown. Read the recap. And same thing for Rampage that was on at 2.30 in the afternoon, West Coast time. So we're going to talk about the AEW Wednesday night program here for a few minutes, and then we're going to sign off and hope that next week is a better time for all of us here in wrestling fandom. Um, Hey, can I say something? I wish you would. We've always had our criticisms and our problems with different things in AEW from the booking, the certain talent being pushed, but we've also pointed out all the good things, the things we've liked, the things we think they can improve upon, the talent that has potential. And I feel like I have to give that kind of disclaimer because some people think we're just completely unfair or some people think we just completely kiss their ass. It's amazing. I wanted to say all that because I feel like AEW right now is going through a weird, it's almost like the summer of 85 in Mid-South. Like, it's a weird period where they got some main event guys there and they got some guys doing some okay stuff, but there's a lot of really lame and dry shit on their shows or just shit that doesn't seem like it is really helping anything right now. And I don't know. I feel like AEW lost a lot of their momentum and mojo. Even though they're selling tickets to some of these live shows, the TV has not been good for a little while now. Well, we're if nothing else, we're starting to see the effects of a couple of years of stress in the wrestling business on Tony Khan and now with multiple shows and multiple TVs and things going sideways and blah, blah, blah. And, but I mean, this program, this program was better than last week's cause it was, it would be hard not to be, it would be hard for any TV program not to be better than the one that they showed last week, but it's, it's, it's up and it's down. Let's, the first match, honest to God, I would have rather seen this match in NXT, I think, because, because then it Adam Cole would have been there for it. It wouldn't have just been Dax. The, the Adam Cole that we knew and loved would have been involved in that one, too. The, the opening match was the Owen Hart tournament match, Adam Cole and Dax Harwood. But and again, as soon as I saw this, I said, so the way that this bracketing works out, Adam Cole couldn't beat 
the company mascot when he first made his debut in AEW, but now that he's been around for a few months, he can beat one of the best in-ring wrestlers in the world. See why you need to plan ahead. See why when you when you get a star, you don't immediately put him in a joke match and have him do a job just because the other guy's a babyface because you might need this guy sometime. There's no pre-planning and thought into any of this shit. They just lurch forward with what's in front of them as, that they think of on the spot. Anyway, I believe that Tony Khan should give Dax and Cash extra contracts to train the rest of the guys on their roster. I mean, Dax is incredible. We don't even need to say that. Everybody's recognizing it now. And they did some good serious wrestling. But then Adam Cole takes over, gets some heat on Dax, and they go to the floor, and they're down on the floor forever before they go to the break. Because there's that's the kind of thing that would have been tightened up in NXT. Adam would have still been in shape, in some kind of physical condition. He would still been being presented as a top guy, and the referees would have been competent, and they would have all known the rules. This would have been a better match in NXT. But Dax did what he could. That we talked about earlier in the program Jim Ross calling the chest first a la Bret Hart turnbuckle as if it was an offensive move that Bret was known for they announced AEW is coming to Savannah Georgia good fucking luck good fucking luck let's see how that one goes you know about Savannah don't you no I don't know why you're saying that no when was the last time you heard about a major wrestling crowd in Savannah Georgia Jeez, I can't. Exactly. For the NWA? (laughs) For anybody. For anybody. For anybody. That's why the Georgia office gave Savannah to Crockett at one point in the, what was it, late 70s? Because they they just, fuck it, we ain't going to go lose any money there anymore. In the 80s, when everything was selling out, you go to Savannah, fuck you, we don't want to come. I will, I'll I'll buy somebody a drink if they draw a big house in Savannah, Georgia. Anyway, um, you know they went back and forth. They had a good match. They uh, Dax got a couple of two counts with the pile driver. I thought, oh my god, okay, now pile driver's an immediate two count. But nevertheless, um, Dax got at the sharpshooter, but he was selling his ribs from being thrown into the post. He couldn't hold it. And then Cole knocked him off the apron to the floor where he took a bump on his bad ribs. And then Cole gets the sharpshooter and Dax tapped out. So yes, there was something that he could sell in terms of his ribs were injured. But that's, you've got two guys that are comparable in terms of the way they're being presented. FTR, the top tag team. Or they're just not the champions, but they're the top tag team. Cole's one of the top singles guys. The heel should, if he's going to beat the babyface, the babyface should have an out. So the ribs kind of work, but I'm still just, I'm gobsmacked that the heel without cheating, that anybody thinks it's a good idea for the heel to make the babyface quit without cheating in really any shape or form to lead to it i i I still can't get used to that and don't see why it's necessary your thoughts 
Good match. Dax is one of the best wrestlers in ring that we've seen in a very long time. He gets better and better. Luckily, he's been getting a lot of exposure on their TV. I'd like to see more FTR matches. FTR was getting a lot of buzz. The fans are really getting behind him. And since that time, we saw Dax versus Punk, and then we see Dax versus Cole, and no more FTR matches. Who 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 won the, who won those matches? Not Dax. Not Dax. So every time they start to do something and people are talking about them and all of a sudden singles matches or jobs or hide you from television. Yeah, we got Dax versus Punk, Dax versus Cash, and then Dax versus Cole. The other thing is... At least Dax beat Cash. You've spent so much time the last several years talking about cosplay wrestling and cosplay wrestlers. Not just guys who want to play dress up and be a character, but people who are performing as professional wrestlers. And I always think about what would embarrass me if someone was here when I was watching wrestling. And it's happened sometimes where I have to watch it and someone's here and I'm like, oh, how do I explain this? Adam Cole is one of the biggest cosplay wrestling culprits out there. The finish was ridiculous because I don't believe Adam Cole could submit anyone. Yeah. He's got no physique. He's got no tan. He's shorter than everyone. He's scrawnier than everyone. He's a scrawny wrestler. And he's got no tan. He's out there and he looks like crap. He's a cosplay wrestler. He could slap his thigh like everyone else does. He could kick out of all the moves like everyone else does. He could flip his hair around. And he's got an entrance that he likes to do his little pose for. And people will yell a catchphrase. But other than that, I'm sorry. He's smaller than every wrestler on the run. He's smaller than Britt Baker. He's smaller than Orange Cassidy. He's smaller than Danhausen. He has no physique, and we're supposed to accept him as a main event caliber wrestler because they tell us that. He's done nothing to establish himself as that in AEW. Whatever he had coming off NXT is gone. Yeah, I have a problem with this match because I think the finish itself, not just Adam Cole going over, but him submitting Dax to the sharpshooter was ridiculous. The booking of FTR for the last month has been asinine. But when you talk cosplay wrestling, it's not just the guys like Orange Cassidy. That's a stupid gimmick that embarrasses us. Adam Cole. Imagine you sitting in a room with someone who didn't watch wrestling and they're watching Adam Cole versus Dax. He's half the size of fucking Dax. It's ridiculous. (sighs) Yep. (laughs) And that's why I agreed with you earlier when you said this match would have been different in NXT. Whether it was just the way they filmed him or the fact that he was taking his physique seriously. And again, I always say this, the caveat, I hope he's not sick or anything. Because the only other thing I could think of of why he would just give up on trying to look like a wrestler. And and again, you know, that's if it was in NXT, we would have had a referee with authority and we would have so. But Dax did the best he could here. Let's just put it that way. I agree. And then here comes Hangman Adam Page to the desk for color because the next match features... Like Mussolini in a hockey jersey. Because here comes Punk. And as soon as he comes out, he kneels down and he calls to cut the music so he can yell, it's clobbering time. But also, he knew that he was going to get booed out of the building. And he, and I I obviously didn't ask him. I wasn't on the premises at the time. 
But I have to think that he had him cut the music so he could walk down there with even with the Islanders jersey. He's doing everything he can. He just saved a baby well, from a burning building. He was wearing the jersey of a player who left the Islanders, one of the best players in hockey, left the Islanders. Some would say for greed. Others would say to return home to Canada, to Toronto. Oh. So it wasn't like an Islander great who's currently playing or one of their players who have their <laughs> names in the rafters. It was someone who left voluntarily. But he knew he was getting booed. Oh, and yeah. in that case, that's why he's he's wearing the shirt, because he wanted to lean into it. He cut the music so that you could hear it. The it's because MJF is from Long Island and they have created this now and it works. It's the Bret Hart Bizarro World Canada business, except it's Long Island instead of Canada. So punk is the baby face everywhere but Long Island, like Michaels, was the baby face in America, but MJF, as Brett was in Canada, is the baby face in Long Island because he's he's from there, and he he still manages to play up. We'll get to this here in a little while. But MJF still manages to play up him being from Long Island and him being a heel at the same time. And, and plus, I, I, you can vouch for this. People from the New York metropolitan area are used to being known as real just fucking uncircumcised dicks to the rest of the country, right? No, a lot of you, us are circumcised. A lot of us are circumcised. Well, but you're all dicks of some respect. In some ways, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so and they're going to lean into the whole punk being booed in Long Island thing, but it it doesn't fit when the company, it fits when Punk leans into it and he's just being himself, but when the company assists him, they book him against another babyface, little Brutus of the dork order who's from Long Island. Okay, now we're getting a little, you know, I know and Paige used to be with the dork order, but we should be able to forget about that by now, one would think. They haven't been darkening each other's doorsteps lately, Paige and the dork order. But... So they're having the match with Punk against Little Brutus, short John Silver, as I like to call him. And Page is doing color. Did Adam Page say anything, make any comment to either sell a ticket to the pay-per-view main event or entertain anyone in any way? Or did he just fucking mumble a bit and sit there to serve his time at the desk? He's the dullest world champion we've ever seen. And I was I was like, okay, is he going to be a asshole heel this week like he was last week talking about punk jerking off to Brett and I'm going to embarrass you and I'm going to fuck you up or is he going to be a baby face or is he going to be whatever? I couldn't tell what attitude he's taking because he said nothing and he said what he did say in such a disinteresting fashion. But the crowd was booing everything that Punk did, and he was loving it. So a Punk would give the little fucking fella openings to do shit, and he sold more than he should have because the crowd was liking it. The match, it was what it was. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about, you know, he's the biggest baby face, the most popular guy in AEW. And it's not that he's being booed out of the building because, again, it's understandable given the situation, but because he's competitive with a mid-card hometown babyface, that's why. Eh. 
But Page was a non-entity on color. The match went a bit long. Short John got a little sloppy, and then Punk hit a buckshot lariat. Boom, one, two, three. And then, here we go. Here comes Page to the ring. And I'm thinking, okay, now we're going to see something. We're going to have a blistering back and forth, some witty repartee, possibly a physical angle. He's specifically <laughs> mad about the buckshot lariat. Yes. I'm saying we're going to see something, right? And they they get in the ring and they go face to face. And Punk says, hey, it's not personal. It's just business. He's trying to be the kind of asshole. And he did a good promo, which was neither baby face nor heel, but was plain spoken. And then Paige just doesn't say anything. He just fucking gives Punk the finger and leaves. So my question is, unless somebody has suddenly come to their senses and decided, okay, Adam Page, bleh, CM Punk, big star, let's put the belt on Punk. Unless they've decided that, how bad a mistake will it be to have CM Punk versus Adam Page and have Punk fail to win the title? Not even do a job, just somehow fail to win the title, much less do a job. They've damaged Danielson. He was the best in the business. They damaged him. Cole never got a chance with the booking, and now it's obvious, as we said, he he's just thrown his hands up. He doesn't care. All the new signings have already been marginalized, and people have either seen their flaws and weaknesses or they're not as over as they were when they started because the people were happy to see him there, but now they've seen him booked by AEW. So who else is going to be the next world champion in this fucking joint? I, I think Punk has to win this. I don't think he will, but I think he needs to. There's only two options. Punk wins or Punk's screwed over by someone. And I'm not saying that's the right thing or the wrong thing. I'm saying those are the only two options. Who would that be? someone be? I don't know. Who does Punk want to work with? That's who it'll be. Well, and more importantly, Adam Page better embrace that person and fucking try to sap some of that heat uh, while he gets the chance because he ain't going to get any on his own. Um, I thought that they intended to present Tony Nese as a star. He's got a manager. They've been having shots of him in the crowd, calling him the hottest free agent in the business, even though he was neither hot nor free nor an agent. They book him with Danhausen. And it's a 30-second match. He attacks him and hits him with a running knee and pins him. But still, not only have they yet to explain what the fuck Danhausen is or why he's there, why, why, but now they're booking him as a wrestler and they beat him in 15 seconds. And it didn't do anybody any good because, of course, yes, you should beat this Halloween clown if you're a real wrestler. But why, if this is if this is a real wrestling show, why are they booking a Halloween clown to wrestle? So this did no good for anybody. And then Mark Sterling gets on a microphone and he's mad that Nice didn't get an entrance and Danhausen did, which, by the way, is true. So then Tony Nice beats him up some more, but then Hook's music plays. And here he comes and the heels bail, no contact. They just powder. And Hook stands there and looks at Danhausen and shakes his hand. 
So now, if Nice is any good, which he was last time I saw him 10 years ago when he came to Ring of Honor tryout camp, um, and we know Hook's good, they've got two potential upper card guys in ridiculous, hokey bullshit. So this was a waste of time. With the exception of the MJF Wardlow stuff, show why the booking has been horrible for a little while now. And Hook is a great example of it. You had someone that fans were really interested in. They were intrigued by. They wanted to see more of. And now he's got the ironic wrestling fan base because that's what they're doing with him now. His stuff with Danhausen makes no sense. And it's silly to get the ironic wrestling fan. This was someone who was serious, should have been treated serious, seriously feuding with people. Could have done more with that than this. This is a mistake. But again, the booking show wide the last several weeks has been really bad. Other than Wardlow MJF, tell me what segments have been consistently good. Even the punk stuff, now it's in this weird point with Paige that doesn't make any sense. You and know F- what? I've and got- FDR have been removed from TV too as a team. I figured it out. You've heard on the news there's a shortage of baby formula, right? Yeah. The little the little kids not being I thought babies just drank milk. I didn't know there was some special mixture. <laughs> no, you, right? can't, just, you can't just give a, them any milk. No. Get a fucking cow or get it straight from the bitty, which yeah, you know, I thought that was all you needed to do. But apparently there must be a shortage of ADD medication also. That would explain if Tony's been off of his his meds the last few weeks, he can't focus, he can't concentrate. That's why it doesn't make any sense. All right, the the only good segment of the program is coming up next, folks. The contract signing between Wardlow and MJF. They had 20 security guys. <laughs> they had the whole thing set up. Um, I saw a lot of people like the Dark Side of the Ring parody video. I, I, I liked it except for the Jericho narration because... Yes, thank you. <sighs> Yes, he's really the narrator of the show, but they just had a program. They hated each other. And then he has to put comedy in. Wait a minute. Is this for MJF? How much are you paying me? Okay. And then does, no, no, that's not right. So they had to hoke that up a little bit. They get too cute. But nevertheless, it was a decent video. But we got out of the video, and then we got to the good stuff. MJF's entrance. The people love him in Long Island. And he was hot dogging and chewing the scenery. And it, it was like Orson Welles had suddenly showed up at a fucking 10th grade school play. And he's just in charge of everything. And what a fucking performance. He knew he was over. He knew he had the fucking people in the palm of his hand. They were eating out of his goddamn whatever you eat out of, uh, I could go on. And he just, he took it and ran with it. This was one of the most brilliant, just verbal performances and just stealing the show. And even though it was petty theft and taken over that I've seen in a long time. And he gave the conditions to face, for Wardlow to face the minch of the cinch. And he preconditioned the fans to boo Wardlow out of the arena, which which they did. Wardlow didn't even have to speak. He was MJF was running the whole thing. And this is the way to do it again because the TV viewers all over the world and the country see this as an aberration. 
It's like they're in the, the fucking heels hometown. What a goddamn bunch of assholes, whatever. Um, and MJF mentioned Cody by name and 2024. Now we've heard some situations going on. Should we, should we bring that up now or well, should we? Yeah. Why don't we finish talking about this? We'll finish we where, where I'm at. We'll finish where I'm at in this. So we don't get lost. Basically the conditions are for the match with MJF and Wardlow. He gets to whip Wardlow 10 times. They're redoing. Who did he do this with? The, the, this was the labors Cody. of Jericho, right? Well, or he was whipped, this Cody? He whipped Cody he whipped with the belt. Cody. And then they, then Jericho had to beat a bunch of people to get to him or whatever. But nevertheless, he's going to whip Wardlow 10 times. Then Wardlow's got to wrestle Spears in a cage with MJF as, as referee and beat him. If Wardlow loses, he can never sign a contract with AEW. I mean, all these things are preposterous, but again, the performance by MJF and milking the people for all that they were worth, this was great. And so finally, Wardlow goes to sign the deal. He's going to accept all of this, but he can't sign with the handcuffs on, and MJF says, uncuff him, uncuff him. And the people, as soon as he says uncuff him, the fans go, ooh, <laughs> no, you're making a mistake. And so Wardlow signs the contract and then demolished the 10 security guys and Spears. And it's, I mean, the, the security is bumping for him like fucking crazy. And the people are going nuts. And he catches MJF and goes for a power bomb. And Mark Sterling saves at the nick of time by jumping, him, jumping on Wardlow's back. And MJF scurries off, and Wardlow puts Sterling through a table. And if you're going to put somebody through a table, there's the time to put them through the table. What a fucking segment. It, th this is the... I know some people want to see Paige and Punk just because you want to see Punk. But this is the match on the pay-per-view that is going to sell pay-per-view. People want to see the big fucker get a hold of MJF. That's the point of the whole thing. So if, if I don't know who would be being given credit for selling these tickets, except if it wasn't for MJF and CM Punk, it just you'd attribute it to mass hysteria on the part of people buying tickets to these shows. And that's still part of it. But that segment, that's, you know, that's what that's what you want to do with wrestling. You want to make people want to see the baby face get a hold of the heel. They have done it. And CM Punk's a big attraction, but this match itself is an attraction. People can't wait to finally see Wardlow and MJF. They built up the match and the anticipation perfectly. Although some interesting roads have taken a different time. <laughs> Rhodes! You, funny you mentioned that name, because MJF, as we all know, was bosom buddies with Cody Rhodes, and now Cody is in a new environment. MJF is still mentioning him, and it's been out there that MJF not happy with his current contract situation, and he's been bandying about the idea of when his deal is up in 2024. And what, I mean, we talked about this, what say it's been several weeks ago now. If, is he still working on the same contract that he signed when he was, you know, the guy on MLW television? Because if, if I, I've seen Vince McMahon tear up people's deals when unexpected shit happened. And I would hesitate to think that Tony Khan hadn't been smart enough to do that and keep 
let's face it. Uh, who were the four pillars supposed to be that they called them? Uh, MJF, Sammy, was it Darby and Jungle Boy? Okay, Sammy Guevara, if he's still walking in two years, I mean, the bloom's already coming off that rose. Jungle Boy, give me a fucking break. And, you know... Darby is not going to be walking in two years. MJF is, is, and they've cooled Darby off already. So MJF in two years is going to be AEW's homegrown superstar. And it might be a whole lot more expensive for Tony to fucking keep him from walking then than it might be for him to make him happy now. I think it's going to be expensive either way. You know, again, you can't just rip up a contract unless the other party says, I'm okay with you ripping it up and giving me something new. Yeah, I'd say about four millions of dollars. Unless he thinks he can get more millions from Vince in a few years, and that's <laughs> where Tony could step it up and say, look, this is ridiculous. You are one of our biggest stars. You're one of the few people that we could say moves numbers. People care about your segments. I like them. They're really good. We want to give you a new deal. We know you can get a lot of money somewhere else. We want to give you more money than they ever would. Tony could do that if he really wanted to. And this may be the guy to do it to. And you brought up a point earlier, and I've been thinking about it since the last time we talked about it, because this isn't the first time this story's gotten out there. And I do hope we don't have to go through two years of MJF's thinking about leaving, MJF's happy, MJF's thinking about leaving. Because it's two years, ladies and gentlemen. It's a long time. But if MJF is still signed or still has the original contract he went to AEW under where he was a young guy coming off MLW who's notorious for their contracts not necessarily being favorable to wrestlers gets his first major deal with AEW if he's still signed him at a contract and in the past few years main evented had critically acclaimed matches and programs the ratings the ratings move up for him he's the best promo he has more crossover capabilities than most wrestlers, even though he hasn't really been utilized in that way. If he's still making less than a Scorpio Sky, a Frankie Kazarian, think of some of the people they've been featuring lately in the TNT. Well, title okay, now here and, and here's the thing also, because you've seen this circulated on the internet. People have said, and I don't know if this is legitimate, but one th it sounds I don't know about the amounts, but the, the names except for one sound legitimate that supposedly the highest paid People in AEW are your Moxley, your Punk, your Danielson, your whatever. You, you see figures like two million or three million bandied around. But this may have been before the last acquisition or two. But it was circulated that one of the five highest paid guys in AEW was Pack at like like seven figures. It somehow. Anybody was insane enough to think that PAC was worth seven figures a year and he's never even on the program. And in COVID, yes, he was over in England, whatever the fuck. But I mean, it's still, it's PAC. You know, he, he had, he has some good points, but he can't have a goddamn match on his own to save his life because he's always doing something goofy. But the point is, when I was in MLW doing the commentary in 2019, when this was coming about, and I, at that time it had been announced, I couldn't explained to anybody that I'd had prior knowledge of it because of that pesky NDA, but all the guys were talking that were being signed at that point, the independent guys, the outlaw guys, 
the pockets of the world, they were talking about that this guy was signing independent guys from these companies for five times or more the money that they'd ever been paid by anybody in their life. And that would have been true for all of those guys then, and it still would be a minute minute fraction of what they're paying guys like Jericho and Moxley and Danielson and Punk and et cetera. But there is also some of those cases where there are guys that just because they had had the right friends to put in the word for them or been some kind of name in the fantasy land that Tony lives in, the independent wrestling circuit, they're getting close to seven figures to do absolutely jack all of shit but wrestling YouTube matches because they're not worth a shit. And he was, you know, blinded by the shiny new toys. Hey, let me ask you about these guys that have come in in the last year of WWE TV. If MJF is still under that first deal he signed in AEW, does that mean Malachi Black got paid more money than him to come in? Because he hasn't been worth it. Well, certainly. Andrade El Idolo? Yes. Mark Henry? Yes. Christian Cage? Yes. MJF is worth more money than all of those people combined. Yes. So this is why Tony Khan should rip up his contract and give him something new. But it can't be for just like a... Wait a minute. Now that now that you've talked me into this, fuck it. If I was MJF, I'd say, fuck you, Tony. I'll see you in two years. Don't bother tearing up anything now. That's what I'm saying. Like it is. That's what I'm saying. He knows there's a pot of gold waiting for him over there. Tony Khan could give him a whole bunch of shit. And he could even give them enough so they wouldn't worry about two years from now. We could end it right now. But it would be a lot, and he's probably not going to do that. But that's the issue. If MJF, when did he sign? 2019. If MJF was working five years under that original deal and making that original money, and all of these other guys are either already there or coming in and making more money, if I was him, I would be livid. If I was him, I would probably have a representative talk to Tony Khan and say, this isn't going to fly. He's not making shit compared to these people. If Remember, that's the situation. Nash and Hall got the favored nations clause out of Bischoff because he was in the same position 30 years ago or whatever Tony Khan is now. He was in over his head, whistling Stranger in Paradise and using somebody. Well, in this case, Tony's using his dad's money. Bischoff was using a non-relative's money to sign all these fucking big name stars that Vince had already made. So when Nash and Hall signed, they, if you pay anybody more than us, we get a raise too. MJF's more valuable to the company than Moxley. I mean, really think about it. I mean, you don't even have to hate Moxley's entire presence and presentation as bad as I do to to see that and agree with it, because it's obvious. So I think there's the problem, because part of the story that got out, and I don't know how these stories keep leaking, someone's leaking them for some reason, that Tony and MJF are still not talking. So there, or not, maybe not talking isn't the right term. They're not where their relationship was before the previous blow-up where he talked about this on another podcast, MJF. Like I said before, MJF deserves as much money as anyone in that company other than CM Punk. You know, you know what would have solved all of this? Fuck guaranteed contracts. I actually said that. I knew for the first time I got one. I said, well, this ain't good. Because it used to be the people who drew the money and the people that sold the tickets made the money. Then the guaranteed contracts came in, and now you, you're guaranteed to make X dollars whether you drop dead, turn blue, show up, or don't. So where's the goddamn incentive? And right now, the highest paid guys in the company, if it were 
by the territory model where you paid the people in the main events, you paid the people that drew the money, the highest paid guys in the company would be CM Punk and MJF, along with another one or two of them, because they're in everything good and everything hot and everything that's selling. But again, I can understand where MJF would potentially be coming from, and I can understand where Tony Khan would be coming from. I have you to this contract. I have all these other headaches. Please don't be another one. I can understand where Tony Khan would come from. But we can't go through this for two fucking but, years. You know, but again, in, in the wrestling business of days gone by, this would have been an easy fix. Because the booker slash promoter would have gone to the top star that was pissed off and threatening to fucking jump ship. Say, all right, what's going to make you happy? Okay, nobody knows about this. Here's what we're going to do. You don't know. I don't know. Your check will change. Nothing's happened. Act naturally, say nothing. Nobody would ever hear about it. They wouldn't know what MJF was getting paid because he wouldn't say and the, uh, and, and the promoter wouldn't say. But now nobody can shut the fuck up. And if anybody asked the promoter, hey, did you give MJF a raise? He would look straight in their face, just like Paul Heyman would, and say, of course not. And lie like a rug. And who's going to be able to prove different? Nobody. That's why in the old days, people didn't know what they're... Every once in a while, somebody would hear what their opponent got on a big territory show as a payoff, and if it wasn't the same thing they got, then somebody would get mad and quit or punch somebody in the face. That's that's why you kept the boys in the dark. Even the other boys kept the other boys in the dark. Every once in a while, somebody liked to brag. JYD had the $12,000 week in Mid-South, the, the week of the Superdome show against Michael Hayes. We heard about that for fucking years afterwards. And especially when we main evented the Superdome and it was a tag team with a manager instead of a single match and we didn't have a $12,000 week, then we were pissed. Do you agree, though, with what I said earlier, not to use a word that is hated in the world of Cornette, but it's going to become tiresome pretty quickly if they keep doing <laughs> this for the next two years? Yeah, no, it can't go two years. or Then then people are going to go, you know what? We don't really care anymore. We're tired of it. And then if he doesn't have, if MJF doesn't have the sentiment of the people on his side, it would be, it would be harder. Because right now he's the put-upon fucking star that's, you know, uh, creating great television and, and apparently not getting compensated for it while all these other jack-offs that had EVPs that were friends is, oh, he's great. Well, he, they're getting 750 grand to fucking diddle around on YouTube. Yeah, and if you're not going to rip up the contract and give him something new, let him do what Mike Ovitz did with Letterman. You're not going to go out there and solicit offers, but let other people pitch him. Let's see what the WWE has to say, even though we're a couple of years away. If Tony has nothing to worry about, has the money to spend and is willing to spend it, Let's get this over with now so we don't have two years of this. No sense dragging our feet. Anyway, we're dragging our feet on the rest of the program. There's still a couple of things left. Would you like me to illustrate them for you? Yeah, notice they kept the House of Black off this show. Thank goodness. Actually, maybe it was just during the commercial breaks when they were in black. <laughs> See what I did there? For the FTW title, by the way, Tony also, Tony Khan did an interview saying about the six-man tag team belts, the trios title, as he calls it. Um, he said, oh, I've got a bunch of a bunch of belts made for a bunch of titles that I've got in mind that I haven't even revealed yet, but you wouldn't believe all that. He's got a bunch of belts already made up. 
And he's had the six-man belts already made, and he's going to institute more titles. So now they've got a TV title for each network, a women's title, a men's title, a tag team title, Ring of Honor title, Ring of Honor women's title, Ring of Honor tag team titles, TV Fuck title, the world title, uh, the regular TV title, not the TV title that's connected to each network. No, I meant the Ring of Honor TV title. Oh, the Ring of Honor TV title. Well, but fuck, we, there's at least three or four guys on the roster that don't have a championship belt. If We need to fix that. If they're going to insist on six-man tag matches being trios matches and they even got a belt, should eight-man tag matches officially be quartet matches? I think so. And then and then a ten-man tag team, which they've done, could be quintets, and they could have the Dion sisters <laughs> come down and, and hang them from a pole and the, the way you win the the quintet match is to climb up and get all of the quintets off the pole seriously if that's trios why wouldn't the other one be the quartets yeah the quartet championship and in this corner actually they they came from the barbershop um for the FTW title, Jungle Boy wrestled Ricky Starks. Remember, Jungle Boy said, I want a, a match for your non-existent title in order to give you and Hobbs the tag team title match. So Hobbs was in the corner, and this this was what it was. As we've said, and I'm not going to belabor it, Jungle Boy is where he's going to be from now on. He's good when he's got somebody to lead him. When he doesn't, when he's in the ring with the trampoline cowboys, he does the same shit they do. His his promos haven't developed in three years because he barely does them. He apparently doesn't want to do them because he doesn't like talking to people. Is what he said in public. Uh, there's no personality here. He looks great with the long hair and the little underneath baby face body that the girls should want to make over him. But he, you know, he doesn't do anything to make the girls think that he'd be any fucking more fun than he would be around the rest of us. So they had a match. Swerve came down to complain about something and Stark surprised Jungle Boy and hit his finish one, two, three. So Swerve is the baby face, but he came down complaining about something, but it distracted the other baby face and the heel capitalized on it in case you didn't understand what I just said there. And then here comes Christian Cage and Dino down because they're pissed that the other baby face distracted him, even though he wasn't trying to. But then here comes Keith Lee, who's another baby face. He's coming down. I wrote, what is fucking happening? So Swerve and Keith Lee are mad at Starks and Hobbs and Cage and Dino. Apparently, and so it smells like, and just believe me, smell is the proper adjective here. It smells like we're going to have a triple threat match of some kind, but Jungle Boy was over there with his head down, ignoring everyone, sort of like he does all the time. And Cage went over and hugged him because obviously Jungle Boy was down that he lost. And so you've got five baby faces and two heels here, and they're all mad at each other. Did I... Describe this properly. Yeah, remember what I said before? The booking has been atrocious. This was horribly done. Whatever they're teasing with Jungle Boy, the Christian turn or him turning on Christian, he seems more like a heel than Christian does lately. Just do it already and get it over with. 
Most wrestling fans would say that Christian ought to turn on all these fuckers. They feel bad for Christian having to sit there and be a grown adult in this room of children. So then we had the next segment with a podium. You know, if a po- if a podium's involved, it's got to be the Japs, right? The Jericho Appreciation Society. If it's anything stupid that would have fit in on Monday Night Raw 15 years ago, Chris Jericho is the one who suggested it. Well, and here it is, including part of the uh, uh, wardrobe, apparently. <laughs> it was the Jericho appreciators taking the time to d- give their victory speech. And there was, did you see Jake Hager? He, for a giant behemoth mixed martial arts shoot fighter, he is the most non-threatening, almost effeminate looking fucking human being I've ever seen. Who do you think is getting paid more, Jake Hager or MJF? No, I'm sure Jake Hager, because he once wrestled for the WWF, just not well. Hager has no facial expressions whatsoever. He stands there. He has no body language. He stands there with that moop look on his face. You know what a moop look is? That's where if you say to somebody, hey, and they go moop, like moop. Moop look, he's wearing a white T-shirt, white tennis shorts, and white tennis shoes with no fucking socks. He looked like a fucking ice cream man in Hawaii. Uh, and I and the, then the 2.0 and Garcia, I can't listen to this. I All I know is that at some point, Moxley and Danielson and Regal and Yuta and Kingston and Santana and Ortiz came out, and they had a sloppy fight for about 20 seconds, and William Regal nailed Jericho, and the heels all ran off, and nothing else happened. And naturally, William Regal nailed Jericho. So next week, they'll have a debate because that's the way <laughs> most wrestling programs traditionally go. This is so bad. This is so stupid. And now at least they got the whole Moxley thing tied up in this. It'll be just one program with all of these people. But they've wasted Brian Danielson. Jericho's work is atrocious. Whatever anyone thought of Daniel Garcia or 2.0, they're now unwatchable. Daniel Garcia is horrible on the mic. And now we're going to get... And by the way, did you see... Like we're we're mind readers. Only the, and it's especially uh, a, a, an accomplishment because this mind is so small. But I have hated the entire Blackpool Combat Club since the start. I hate they put Danielson in the middle of Moxley and Yuta. I hate that Regal is being utilized in this fashion instead of being potentially the commissioner of the whole company and and making matches instead of Tony's coked out fucking hippity hopping up and down but regal just did an interview on some podcast and said yeah the blackpool combat club it was moxley's idea so we have him to as it if as if it wasn't bad enough that we have to watch him have these garbage matches and we have to suffer that fucking entrance and we know that he's the one behind getting the bank addicted drug robber public attention lately because he's an idiot and he idolizes fucking trash like that but now moxley is the one responsible for taking away our heel brian danielson i will never forgive him for that 
So he's another guy with bad ideas. It, it, you should know just automatically if it's a bad outlaw, independent wrestling idea, it comes from a guy like Moxley. We should have known. You know, for every Bob Dylan, there was some really awful singer songwriter that sucked. <laughs> and there are certain wrestlers that are creative. CM Punk seems to be the type who can come up with good things to be involved in, or at least know when to say no to bad things. But there's way too many people in AEW, Moxley, Jericho, Malachi Black, I can go on and on, who have really bad ideas and really need someone to say, no, you're not doing that. Here's how you should be used. Well, speaking of bad ideas, oh, and let Tony Storm wrestle Jamie Hayter. And I noted that Tony Storm looks great, but it's getting late. So we go to our main event. Speaking of bad ideas. Brian, we haven't said it in a while, but you know what I say when you gimmick a gimmick. You're putting a hat on a hat. You've gimmicked a gimmick. You've put a stipulation on a stipulation. You've, you've, you've gone too far. I am now going to start calling Tony Khan the Mad Hatter. Because I just have a picture when I see stuff like this main event. I have a picture of Tony Khan running around with 50 hats shoved on his head, one on top of another. Oh, my hats look so good. I must have more. The main event of this show was another Owen Hart tournament match. But unlike all the other tournament matches, this one was an anything-goes match. No disqualification. Lazy booking. In the Owen Hart tournament. In the Owen Hart tournament, a guy noted for his scientific wrestling. And anything goes, Matt. You know, Owen was noted for having those garbage matches. But the only match in the tournament that's anything goes, it's all, it's no DQ. It's also the first match that these two guys have ever had against each other. And it's also two baby faces. So two baby faces that have no grudge against each other no reason to want to hurt each other that have never wrestled before having their very first match on free television in a tournament. You know why it's anything goes because a Mark booked it. Jeff Hardy versus Darby Allen, because that's what, and I don't even use the, to this is I'm not using the term Mark interchangeably with fan here because a fan would know how stupid this was to have this match in this way. A Mark would not. A Mark would say, oh, Jeff jumps off a lot of stuff, and Darby jumps off a lot of stuff, and they both paint their face, so this is a dream match. But let's have no DQ so they can do all their tricks. That's the way Marks book. That is why that Marks don't make good bookers. So... It sounds good on paper to an amateur matchmaker, but there's no logic, there's no reason, there's no payoff. They didn't make a cent extra for having this match and risking the health of two of their more high-profile contract players. By the way, the Hardy Boys reunion is dead and buried at this point. That takes six weeks. It took two weeks. I mean, or you could say it took Jeff dancing when he came down to save Matt that first night, but at least two weeks. So now we've seen the Hardys reunited. We've seen the Hardy boys on free television in two different matches. Neither one have been any good. 
Now we've seen Jeff in a singles match, and it was embarrassing. So they've pretty much leveled the Hardy Boys in that time. But again, no reason for these guys to have an anything-goes match besides the fact that their style against other people is that they take risks, but they have no reason to do this here because they're both baby faces. And their various partners are in the corner. Matt's in Jeff's corner. Sting is in Darby's corner. And they play no part in this whatsoever because it's a baby face match. But at the bell, Darby Allen jump-started it with a drop kick and a dive to the floor. And then, and I swear I am not lying. If I'm lying, I'm flying, and my feet ain't left the ground. Within 15 seconds after the bell rang, Darby had pulled eight chairs out from under the ring and built a chair-like structure (laughs) on the floor with eight chairs while Jeff just laid there for no reason. Well, the reason was because he couldn't get up yet because Darby was still arranging the chairs in a shop class arrangement. And then Jeff hot-shotted Darby onto the stairs and then set set the stairs in place, and they did spots off the stairs. And they're all on the floor. Nobody's in the ring. Nobody's getting counted out. It's gone to hell in the first two minutes. They almost got into the ring, and then Jeff pulled out a ladder and tossed it in the ring for him to go to the break. And I'm like, can this please be over soon? And there, Darby can still move because he's young. Jeff looks like he hurts to breathe, and we've already gone over this. It's embarrassing, and why are they putting him in this position? And I wrote down, can this be over soon? As soon as they came back from the break, they were climbing the ladder. That's got to be a 15-foot ladder in the fucking ring. And then Jeff is somehow winds up on the floor and Darby Allen climbs to the top of this 15-foot ladder that's set in the ring and gets up on the top of it and jumps off in a forward flip. It's like he's taking a big backdrop off the top of the ladder. And Jeff is down there. Jeff's 200 pounds max. And this fucking moron is flying at him from 20 feet in the air. And Jeff kind of reaches up, but Darby Allen just goes past Jeff Hardy and takes a flat back backdrop bump onto the seats of the chairs that he has set up at the start of the match. How coincidental. Wouldn't you know who won the pony? (laughs) Why would Jeff stand there? Why would Jeff Hardy, because, well, I guess because He's got no ability to say you're a fucking moron, even though he does have the the veteranship and the experience and the tenure in wrestling to say, no, we're not going to do that. But he can't tell somebody that's stupid because he used to do stupid shit, too, which is why he can hardly walk now and why they can't do their stupid shit anymore. But nobody else told Darby Allen, no, you're not going to do this. This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. It doesn't belong in the match. By the way, this was not the finish. There was five minutes left in the show after that bump, and they both got back in the ring. I don't know what happened after that. I turned it off because I'd reached my limit. But that was not the finish. A 20-foot backdrop off the top of a ladder onto metal chairs on a concrete floor. 
was not only not the finish, they are honoring Owen Hart by having a fucking guy choose to fall from a great height while doing something that he had no business doing. Owen didn't make that choice. He, he knew it was bullshit for him to be up there. I don't know what I would say to him if I ever met Darby Allen. I might cuss him. I might just laugh in his face and walk off. Or I, I don't know if I would have the time, nor would he stay there long enough for me to tell him everything that's wrong with him. But that's a guy that I wanted to like. I've wanted to like since the start because we've said, you know, he's obviously a complete idiot. He's an idiot in real life because he does all his shit for fun on purpose. He run, gets run over with cars and jumps off bridges and whatever the fuck. So he, and he, he slept in his car before the first pay-per-view so he could remember what it was like when he had to sleep in his car because he didn't have any money. Pretend, you fucking moron. So I wouldn't, I would never have anything in common with this fucking guy. We would never be able to speak on a personal basis, but with his wrestling, he made the dives look good. He had some intensity. He's got an underdog charisma and the weirdness to him. People like him. They want to cheer for him. So in, in a wrestling context, if he wasn't legitimately a moron, and could control himself and was doing this as a work, I'd get into his wrestling. But because I know that he really legitimately just does this shit for kicks and doesn't care whether he gets hurt or not, and just makes the rest of the business look bad because here's this fucking cadaver-looking skinny motherfucker taking 20-foot backdrops and getting up from them, and the... The main event guys can't withstand half of that. It just makes the whole business look like shit. And it fosters the idea that other guys need to top this shit, so they're going to do something more dangerous. So uh, I can't like his wrestling because I know that it's not a gimmick, that he really is a goofy fuck that jumps off shit for kicks and doesn't care whether he gets hurt, but he's going to hurt somebody else because he's going to land on him. And 150 pounds coming off the top of a 20-foot ladder, elbows and foot boot heels first, you could hurt somebody easily. I would not stand under this motherfucker, nor would I let anybody else if I was running the company because I wouldn't be letting him jump off the fucking ladder. This guy has something, and people like him. And if he was working it and in control of it and knew what he was, what he had and what he was doing, he'd be able to capitalize on it. But he's just one of these goddamn jackass ridiculousness motherfuckers that is not in control of this, and it's not a work with him. So I have actually more disdain for him than for the, the other dipshits that don't have any talent. Because he's got talent, and he's just too stupid to use it right. So who won this match, and what caliber was the gun they used? You know what? I don't even remember what the finish was. Well, there you go. I got to go back and check who won. Darby did a great dive to start it. His dives look great. I asked a wrestler what those feel like, and they said, you know, they're pretty light, actually, because he weighs nothing. But... There was a lot of negative feedback you saw from AEW fans about this match. This show 
the last several shows. This doesn't make anyone comfortable. Darby Allen doing this stuff, Jeff Hardy barely able to work. I don't know why they did this for the Owen Hart Cup. I don't know why they did this in front of Martha Hart. Why would you do this? Bad match. For the same reason that Jim Ross, of all people, exposed the business in in the manner in which we talked about earlier in the program, because they all associate with each other and they don't take a step back and remember what wrestling was and is supposed to be and how people are supposed to conduct it and or talk about it. And they've lost themselves in this little bizarro world they live in where everybody's smart and the whole idea is to make people as smart as possible and that'll make them watch the show more. Because that's what they think apparently, but they're fucking nuts. They're crazy as a rainbow trout in a car wash. I wonder what Martha did think about that, come to think of it. Yeah. What did she think about the whole show? She was there the whole night. You know, at some point she had to think Owen would be so he would he would either be upset or he would be laughing his ass off because Owen did like to have fun and he would have been able to take the piss out of a lot of these guys and they would have never even seen it coming with that straight face and that monotone delivery he could give when he was winding you up and it would just be so nonchalant. You thought, oh, that's, he he really meant that. Maybe he could have sold him some pizzas over the phone anyway your closing thoughts on this program i have been really uninspired by aew the last several weeks i was going through a period where i was really hot on it there was a lot of things on the show from ftr getting featured and getting over to mjf to punk and now other than the mjf wardlow thing and some of the punk stuff and ftr hasn't been used as a tag team since the shows have really not been good. The booking's not good. The show-wide booking right now is not good. The Malachi Black angle last week was a disaster. The Jericho stuff is really lame. They've ruined Danielson. I shouldn't say ruined. They've watered down Danielson when you shouldn't. The TNT titles never meant less. It, if we want to watch Jay Lethal, we got to watch Satinum sing. The booking has been really, really bad, and the sad thing is it doesn't affect anything. The brand of AEW and a big main event is enough to sell tickets. Yeah. Because there really isn't a big card out in front of people. What's the card for the pay-per-view? The pay-per-view is in like two weeks. MJF Wardlow, Punk versus Page. What's the rest of the show? I don't know. But it it, it does. It's, it's the AEW fan base is going to make sure, at least for the foreseeable future, that every big show performs like it's been because they're they're crowdfunding this thing. It means more to them than Aunt Fanny getting a fucking heart transplant or a new pacemaker. They're going to crowdfund this thing and will it to happen on the big shows or whatever. But sooner or later, is there going to be a recession in this country? Is money gets short or the bloom comes completely off the rose or whatever? And they're going to actually, in AEW, start having to do it the old-fashioned way and give people something that they'd actually want to specifically see in order to purchase the ticket or buy the pay-per-view or whatever, rather than just, oh my God, it's AEW and it's a show! We must partake! Because that's only going to last so long. And everybody that they, every name they sign, every new talent they bring in, there's more talk about them anticipation 
and buzz around them and excitement for them on their debut than there ever is again because people are going by the their reputation before they got there. And then they debut, oh, he's here! And then they see him three or four weeks and they go, oh, yeah, yeah. So we'll see. All righty then. The next show is your show, Brian, the drive through that comes out in a few days from now. I'm not sure exactly what the scheme of things is, but uh, you'll be shepherding that and we'll, we'll have some fun talking about some other things besides modern wrestling. Since we've recapped the last week here on this program. That's right. More Gordon solely wrestling trivia. There you go. You can't go wrong there. Ah, ah, the knee across the prefrontal lobe folks. I feel like I've had a knee across my prefrontal lobe. Um, I'm sorry that we told you what happened on the wrestling programs this week, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll try not to do it anymore. We don't mean, mean to be that rude and mean to our listeners, but we felt it was knowledge that we had to impart to you. Otherwise, we're done here for today. The drive through is coming up in a few days. We did all our plugs earlier. What the fuck? We're done. Thank you. Fuck you. Bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights, I get to stay up late. Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Hey, Mom, I need to watch the show. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo.
He wants to cut up our heroes with a rusty fishing knife, or get them in the hot tub to play Scott the Submarine with him and his wife. And no, Mom, I'm not bitter. This has nothing to do with Jim blocking me on Twitter. And now, here comes Nero. Wearing pajamas like me, he's my hero. The young bucks could shoot on the Sawyer. Make Brock Lesnar take a Canadian destroyer. Don't come in, Mom. Don't come in. Are you touching yourself again? Wi-Fi password. Oh no! Wednesday nights I get to stay up late. Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Hey mom, I need to watch this show. Elter says I'm in the key demo. I am 39, I'm in the key demo. I'm a single I'm in the 